uh, names that were tossed around, uh, I imagine, before Danny got involved were Patrick Swayze and also uh, Steven Seagal. Is that true? Um, I, ne- I never knew. I-, I think I heard about Patrick Swayze. Seagal was... Was very very on board then, and I and I had to go up and have a meeting with him at his house, which was one of the craziest afternoons I've had. Sort of to talk about of doing it, you know, to and and it was a a bizarre. He's a, a, a very unusual, slightly twisted kind of guy, and uh, and in the end, uh, you know, I I, I I I I couldn't see myself doing it with him. It didn't feel right, you know. He wasn't no. he wasn't the kind of. Uh, Hero, I thought. I thought that was. I thought it would just turn into a, a, a cheesy, you know. I mean, it's it's that. got plenty of cheese now, but it's a kind of cool cheese, I think, as opposed yeah. to uncool cheese. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the show where we go back and revisit the movies that bombed uh, and, and also maybe the critics didn't like too much. Brad, we're done with February. No more wife picks. Um, we, we survived that entire month. And so we're back to like the really cool movies, right? Yeah. Fill me up with that testosterone because here we go. Yes. And I'm super excited about this week. Because, you know, the, the best thing about doing the whole podcast is just the community you end up being a part of and create. And uh, a few months ago, we had a chance to be on um, one of my favorite shows. I, I discovered it through Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And um, we had uh, James from the Iron Sequel reach out and say, hey, do you, do you guys want to talk about a sequel that bombed? And we had a chance a few months ago to talk about the Chronicles of Riddick, which I... I just adore that film. And we, we begged James cause I, I know he's talked about this film and predator two has been on our watch list and, and him and will did such a, a good job talking about it years ago, but we begged, we're like, man, can, can you come on the show and talk about it one more time? And I'm super excited um, that James said, yes. So James, how are you doing, man? I, I'm, I, I'm just giddy right now. I'm just to see yeah, your face. I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Um, it's great to be fr- in front of very friendly, familiar faces again. Um, like you say, the community that I, I kind of feel on the online kind of side of things that I'm not as present on maybe like Facebook and things like that. But we all kind of stay in touch by, you know, the odd shout out on social media, Twitter and things like that. But yeah, it, it's really great. I'm really happy to be here because I kind of think we're both of our podcasts are kind of kindred spirits, if you will, in some regards, because a majority of sequels by and large don't do as well unless they're the kind of James Cameron held malarkey. But yeah, this is kind of in the same wheelhouse that we do. So that, that's why we just kind of hit it off straight away. And it was, I really enjoyed the Riddick episode because I wasn't familiar with the series, but kind of opening up that universe for, for a larger chat just makes me want to go back and, and see what I could potentially enjoy for a first time watch. Yeah, that's awesome, and and you're absolutely right. A lot of the a lot of the shows um, that you've put together and the sequels that you picked out. I'm, I mean, your your very first episode, I, if I remember correctly, was it Aliens? Was that the first? It one was Aliens, yeah, with with an, uh, um, Andy Carr, who is a, a very familiar face within the groups as well. And 
I think it was a good one to get the the kind of ball rolling, really. If you're going to go in for... A, if you're going to have a show about sequels, <laughs> yeah. start off with Aliens. <laughs> just, yeah, just start with Aliens. So, yeah, um, yeah that, that was a really good uh, good first episode. And then I started getting into groove with things and getting a bit more confident because I'm a, I'm a one-man band um, while trying to juggle work and a social life as well. And yeah. sometimes you do hit a bit of a dead end with guests, but... What, when it clicks, it's been absolutely amazing. And there's been some episodes, I always go to, back to the Grease 2 one, which I know you did with Sammy quite recently, mm-hmm. um, which completely caught me off guard. It's not, never a film I'd imagine watching, yet it was such an enjoyable episode. And I was just laughing throughout the entirety of it with my guest, uh, who was Andrew from uh, Severin. And it's those kind of things that just reignite something in you. It's like lighting a torch and you just like become overwhelmed with, with what you're talking about and the passion just comes through and, that's the same with all these podcasts is everyone's different in the kind of films they're covering, but the passion is just unbelievable. And I think it's a really great thing to be a part of. Absolutely. Well, so one of the traditions we have is anytime we have a new guest on the show is we like to do some questions and it's, and it's sort of a get to know you, right? So mm-hmm. if, if nobody has listened to the iron sequel, just your answers to these questions will probably make sure that they go and download everything. But this <laughs> this will also kind of level set in terms of your film taste and everything else. So I'm going to start with the first one. First one is just super easy. Okay, what is your favorite movie of all time, or one of your favorite movies of all time? Uh, the French Connection. Oh, that okay. film um, kind of typifies the 70s. It's like the, the 70s is my favorite decade for filmmaking, hands down. I think across the spectrum of all genres, it's a home run in every single one, and more owing to the French connection is, is the Italian Politio films, which I became a huge, huge fan of uh, many, many moons ago. And that was almost like the template along with Dirty Harry, but the French connection has such a gritty kind of realism and it. it's, it's tough. It's such a tough film with two of the greatest leads from the decade as well. Um, the Don Ellis score is just incredibly jarring with obviously the car chase as well. And it's a really tight thriller. Um, I think it only comes in at like 140 minutes, um, 100 minutes, sorry, not 140 minutes. Um, and yeah, it, it just ticks all the boxes and it's just infinitely watchable. It's, it's definitely an all-time favorite of mine. That car chase, the stories surrounding that car chase yep. and how they just went <laughs> and uh, what's on screen is really some real world reactions. It It's just exhilarating. Yeah, that's, that's man, that's a great pick. All right, right thanks. Brad, yours. Yeah. Uh, if Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you like to see play the lead role as you? Oh boy. That is a question. Mm-hmm. Good grief. Uh, I have an answer. I have, I have my answer for you, but I want to hear yours first. Cause I don't know okay. if I want to. Uh, what's the, what's the basis for this? Are you going off looks or personality? Uh, I, I always find it fascinating. If you could find an on-screen persona that thinks comes close to you versus the looks, I think that's always more interesting, but Hey, it's your question. You can answer it any way you want. <laughs> right. That's, that's really trying to put me on the spot of it. Um, I, I, I don't know why I'm gravitating towards Oscar Isaac. I just am because I think he's okay. kind of got a bit of a range and not a, a kind of same hairstyle ish kind of, you know, very, I, I, it's a bit, that's a re, you really put me on the spot. With that one. <laughs> well, I like really that answer, one. Oscar Isaac. <laughs> but I really want to know yours though. I, I was going to say Jonathan Reese Myers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know he's like a huge dick, but uh, yeah, you know, 
Maybe, maybe we can make it work out in the not a bomb casting. You could be Jonathan Reese Myers. I don't know why I didn't actually gravitate to any words in, in any English answers. It's one of those. If you'd have given me time to prep for this, the answers would have been impeccable. Oh, no, it's, it's like a spot. Rorschach test, man. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, it's like an ink block. Okay. Um, next question. What, what would be the worst movie sequel ever made? I know some of your favorites, but what do you think is the worst sequel out there? The worst sequel out there? Um, Oh boy, there's a lot to choose from as well. Um, worst sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how far kind of going down the line of, of sequels that that in, in terms of a franchise. Um Jason Goes to Hell could be up there. That that's a oh, yeah. like, that's oh, yeah. a super, super turn. But I suppose when you start getting into the horror sequels that's a bit like an easy target if you will i think you want to talk of kind of like pure kind of hollywood sequels because that's kind of the wheelhouse but um well again i'm completely stumped um horror is an easy I, one to go after i, I will say that especially when you're like an easy one to yeah. go after. number nine ten of the sequels you're like yeah forget it i suppose in, in pure disappointment and completely missing the point of what the films were meant to be i'd probably go for it alien resurrection alien four um that really completely dropped the ball because you have two like genre defining films and a third that comes along and tries to take it into a bit more of a darker tone based on the you know the the the, the, the decade they were in and put mm-hmm. a bit more of a story behind ripley as a character and then it just throws everything in the mix and says right we're, we're capturing aliens we're mutating aliens we're impregnating aliens and it just i think that's when the the it kind of lost its way big time and you start going into the alien versus predator films which we may touch on soon oh okay cool all right you're up next brad um uh, let me pull up the questions again my phone um here we go number oh who is your favorite ninja turtle and why I've been hearing a lot about Ninja Turtles on podcasts recently. That's really bizarre. That's one I listen to and they always bring up Ninja Turtles. Um, it'll have to be, I'm going to say Donatello because he's got the, uh, the, the almost like the, the mini tripod um, weaponry, the, the kind of daggers. Is it those ones? No, it's Raphael. That's Raphael. Raphael. The yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> there we go. All right. God, Ninja Turtles. Wow. Hey, it's it's one of those questions. Given uh, all the different personalities that each one exhibit, <laughs> I, yeah. it's so weird. If, think, if they know yeah. Ninja Turtles and you go, "Well, what what's your favorite one?" You gravitate to, and they're like, "Oh, I, I like Leonardo. I like Donatello, Michelangelo." They all have these different personalities. I I find it an interesting question. Not that you're going to like diagnose somebody's you know psychologically <laughs> based on their pick, but you go, "Okay, well, that if that's what you kind of gravitate to, all right, cool." <laughs> all right, and the last question. Uh, what's your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend? Favorite movie bomb that I could recommend? Um, I mean, I've talked about it a lot recently, and I would go for Ridley Scott's The Counselor. Um, it's really become a, an, an all-time favorite kind of neo-noir thriller of mine. I think it's incredibly misunderstood. It's a film that lends itself to real multiple rewatches, and it almost became a bit of a joke when it first came out because the dialogue is so it's above its actors. If that makes any sense, it's bizarre that the film has a a cast that suits the film, but when they start talking, it almost is, it's kind of above their station in some regards and, and maybe Cameron Diaz is miscast to it to a degree as well. But um, I, I really like it. It's one of the most nihilistic 
kind of modern Hollywood films I've, I've seen um, in recent decades. And I'm a big, big fan of it. And, and I really, you, we'll, we'll probably talk about it soon as well, that there's been a lot more kind of chatter over the past recent years. And it's almost kind of comes in cycles where people reevaluate certain films from a certain time. And this is kind of part of that crop now. So yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to kind of warm to it a bit more. That's a Cormac McCarthy. He wrote that, didn't he? He did write it. Yeah. yeah. And it seems, I mean, it seems there was a lot of onset changes as well because he was very present on set. So mm-hmm. you have actors who are really learning their lines and a character and he's constantly throwing these curveballs as well. Um, so yeah, watching the documentary, I, I talked about on the projection booth recently and um, watched the making of documentary and it, it really gives a really good insight to the film as well. It's, I mean, yeah, I, I can recommend that till, uh, till I'm blue in the face. I think it's a great film. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely have to check it out because I know we talked a little bit about it um, a few months ago when we got together. And then I, I, I have it. I owned it. So I moved it up on the to watch pile. Then we reviewed um, Scott's The Last Duel. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I, I got to go back and start filling out the, the parts of the filmography of his films that I haven't watched. So I'm going to get to it. Uh, I, I, I promise because every you're not the only one. Everybody talks about that film and just says, man, it's really misunderstood and you need to check it out. It's yeah. bonkers. But um, they say, you know, that's that's part of it. So we're talking about a sequel. You have a podcast devoted to sequels. And I know we touched on this a little bit. And and um, I don't know about you guys. I used this week as an opportunity to go back and, and watch a bunch of sequels. You know, I, I did watch Predator and we watched Predator 2 because, you know, we're going to talk about this. But I'm like, I'm going to go watch Predators. I'm going to go watch The Predator. I wish I had more time to do the, the Aliens versus Predator but I'm I'm really curious on your opinion. Um, for for a podcast about sequel, um, in general, what makes a good sequel? Like, what are the ingredients that basically says a sequel is going to work? If if you had a checklist and it said it marked these things, and as long as it had these things, you could have varying degrees of quality, but it, it's generally going to be a good film. Do you, do you have sort of a checklist for that? Um. Yes. Uh, the. So the main thing I'd say is is at least trying to have like a vague through line of a plot. If you're trying to completely reinvent things in a sequel, you're going to completely lose the core audience because if they don't have anything recognizable in it from the start, um, that's instantly going to be a red flag to them. So, um, I mean, we could talk about Predator 2, or we could talk about something like Aliens. So obviously in Aliens, you've got the core line is is the xenomorph. Um, in, in action films, it tends to be a character. So obviously the... T2000, things like that, and John McClane, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have that through line, then the rest of the film can be just effectively a sandpit for exploring things and and effectively upping the ante because there's no point in copying the first film for the second film and just doing the same thing over. You've got to one-up certain set pieces. So if you've got a set piece of a car exploding, let's have a plane exploding, those kind of things. Um, And a lot of films do them well, but I tend to find that... With certain films, let's say Predator, for an example, which is a great film, very of its time. Um, there's a really good political through line through it as well. Um, incredible cast of, of real kind of testosterone-driven males, one-liners that are kind of still talked about to this day. Um, obviously, the handshake meme as well. So it's absolutely chock full of kind of points from that time which people can kind of assign them to, and it's going to be there forever. But 
it's a, an amazing action film in its own right, but I think what Predator 2 does better is, again, upping the ante. And it just, to me, is a more accessible film than Predator itself. Predator's just like an A to B shoot 'em up um, with the odd hero sacrifice here and there. The hero comes out on top. Um, never really seems to be a point where he's going to get beaten, but there's a lot more collateral damage in two, which for me kind of ups the ante a lot more. You bring in different ingredients in as well. Um, and it's just like an absolute boiling pot of like just so much going on as well. Um, sorry, I'm kind of going off on one a bit there. Oh, no, that's, that, that's, that, that's kind of the, the way I'd look is, is look at the plot points. How bigger are you going to make things? Obviously more of a body count if it's an action as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I look for really. Do you, do you think sequels um, today are better or worse than what has come in the past? I, I always find it interesting that, um, I, I mean, sequels have been around and, and franchises have been around for a very, very long time. I, mm. I think they became more popular in the 80s. And I think Holly really, Hollywood really understood how much money they can make off sequels. But at the same time, Hollywood's kind of been doing that all the way back to the like Universal Monsters. I mean, that entire yeah, franchise. Yeah. But I'm, I'm always curious, like, are sequels, people complain about them because they lack originality. And heck, every film that's probably coming out, or let's say 90% of the films coming out this year, they're they're part of a franchise or they're part of a sequel. Um, so one could say that maybe it, it it's a little too much, but... Um, do you think do you think they're better today than what they were in the past, or has much changed? Do you think? I don't think much has changed, to be honest. I just think the franchises have gotten bigger. Um, if you look at something like Fast and the Furious, for example, which is probably you know the prime example of that, is that that's almost becoming a joke in how it's up in the ante in each film. It's like, right, what? Let's go to space now. We're just going to drive to space now. So that's the sequel. Um, and I think that has started to really run its course because it's kind of surpassed ridiculousness. But let's say, so let's, Equalizer 2 is a perfect example of a first film, Tony Scott film, RIP, uh, who, um, and it was, you know, rehashing a TV show with, you know, one of the most charismatic leads you can probably have in cinema today. And it's a really great action film. Equalizer 2 is a really great action film, but he starts putting all this bizarre espionage stuff in it where like Denzel Washington is playing dress up and it, it just, and it's still hyper violent and still great action. Um, and that, I, yeah, I think they're, they're pretty much the same. I think some people get it. Um, I think if you look at something like Halloween Kills, that's almost following a sequel template on purpose. I don't think it's necessarily organic, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It's trying to do that, right, we have a sequel, let's just make it as crazy and up the ante, forget the law, here we go. I think those, like an Equalizer 2 is just like an organic process and it just makes it a lot more enjoyable to watch. Okay. Well, the movie we're talking about tonight is Predator 2 and it's it's showing up on a podcast called Not A Bomb because it bombed. And, and Brad, this is the part of the show where you go back and you kind of tell us about the financials, right? And then upon yeah. its release, how it did. So let's start there before we get talking about the cast and crew. Yeah. So Predator 2 released November 21st, 1990 with a budget of $30 million. Um, it grossed a total of $57.1 million. Um, that's 30 domestic, 27 international. So about 50-50 there. Um, opening weekend. It grossed $8.78 million. Um, that was good enough for fourth. Um, 1990, uh, November of 1990 was pretty stacked. Um, it was beaten out by things like Home Alone, Three Men and a Little Lady, and Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves was uh, 
third at the box office that week, and that was in its thirteenth week uh, in the uh, in the theater. So it's a pretty impressive run. Yeah, it, um, it had a it had a good run through Christmas. I remember working <laughs> the movie theaters about that time period, and people were still going to see Dances with Wolves all the way up to New Year's Eve. Yeah, <laughs> Dances with Wolves is a pot, uh, movie that comes up on our podcast all the time. And <laughs> Goodfellas is a Goodfellas is a much better movie. It should have won for Best Picture that year. <laughs> Kevin Costner is such a fascinating actor to to own a decade, like completely own a decade, to just do almost whatever he wanted, um, and then to just drop off so savagely in the two thousands yeah. was absolutely crazy. I mean, obviously he had a couple of bombs. Like, again, Waterworld, great film. It's, it's not necessarily the bomb, but yeah, he he really had some pulling power back in the day. Yeah, and now he's. Like Yellowstone is one of the biggest shows in the world. So yeah, he's back on top, uh, at least in the small screen. So yeah. So, so for a little context, um, the budget for predator um, 87's predator was $18 million. It grows $98.3 million. So you can see um, this one grows $40 million um, and costs an extra 12. So when you talk about sequels, you know, the studio hopes to build off the momentum of the first one. Um, they were not pleased with the return on this one because, you know, the second one or the first one grossed almost double what the what the second one did. Um, here we go. Also, critically, uh, Predator 2 since had a 30 percent on Rotten Tomatoes with a 44 percent with the audience. Ooh. We've done a lot of things where uh, I've been shocked. This one shocked me. 44 uh, percent from the audience. I was pretty uh, surprised by that. Um if you wanted to see other films um, in November of 1990, you could have seen things like uh, Troy. I'm going to ask you if you saw this China cry, a true story. No, I that never heard of sound, it. Nope. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Graffiti bridge. That's Prince. That's yeah. Prince. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob's ladder. Yes. Of course. I think we've okay. all seen that um, child's play Two. There you go. Uh, let's see. Home Alone, we said. Rescuers Down Under, Rocky Five, Three Men and a Little Lady. Um, and let's see. And the last one is Misery. So a lot of uh, Oscar bait going on in November there. Plus sequels, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Into gym. laughs> um, so Predator 2 is directed by Stephen Hopkins. Are you, are you guys familiar with him as a director? Oh, yeah, dude. Judgment Night. There you go. Oh, yes, that's yeah. right. Oh, uh, was he the dream child as well? Did yeah. He? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's Nightmare on Elm Street 5, uh, which got him the job for Predator 2, because that came out in 1989. And then Predator 2 was 1990. You just talked about Judgment Night in 93. Another one that I kind of enjoyed that he did, and I totally didn't know he directed it, was Blown Away from 1994. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's really good. That's a really good action film. And, and he's still directing. Most recently, he did the Fugitive TV series, I think, um, from 2020. So he, he's still out there working the, the screenplay. Now this is interesting. So the screenplay is done by Jim Thomas and John Thomas. They work together, you know, as, as brothers and collaborate and they wrote the first predator in 1987. And so they did this one, but here's a couple other films they've done too. executive decision in 96 with Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal, uh, John Leguizamo, right? We just talked about mm. him wild, wild west in 1999. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Uh, Mission to Mars in 2000 and Behind Enemy Lines in 2001. Those are those are some of the films that those two worked on. Yikes. Yeah. The, the director of photography, because I think we're going to talk about how this thing looks, is uh, Peter Levy. 
he worked with Steven on Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. But he's also was a cinematographer for a film we talked about, Brad, Cutthroat Island from 1995. Okay, yep. Yep. And, um, you know, just another action film that he did a year after, Broken Arrow, 1996. The, uh, John Woo, baby. Yes. <laughs> and I I recently, the, the, sorry to digress, yeah. there's been a lot of chatter online recently about Ricochet. Oh, I um, love Ricochet. Oh, is that the Den- it, Denzel Washington, it, it, Denzel John, Washington Lithgow? Okay. John Lithgow film? And it again, the conversation that's just like someone's talking about Ricochet. Holy shit, like no one ever talks about Ricochet as being a great 90s action thriller. And I was only talking about it with a friend last week after we watched it, uh, how good it looks. Like it looks like it's a very, very beautifully composed um, action film. Everything's well shot live scenes, live places. Uh, there's one tracking shot where Denzel's kind of like running out of a house and follows him down a road at like a POV. It's it's beautifully shot. And I didn't even put two and two together and it makes complete sense why. You, yeah. It's it, the like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's really great. I, I didn't that's know a, about that. So that's a Russell Mulcahy joint. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. That That is sort of a bonkers over the top film. I mean, it's pure nineties. Right. And, and it, it's goofy, I think, but man, is, is it, is it a fun revisit? I, I, oh, dude, I really it, do. Like it, it really yeah. is. I, I'm watching um, I'm watching Dexter season four of my wife at the minute, and it's been a bit of a slog to get there, but I know from watching it that the John Lithgow series is brilliant because he's just such an incredible screen presence, and he plays like menacing incredibly well, and he's just got these incredible one-liners in Ricochet, and I just like the fact that his kind of revenge angle is just giving Denzel the clap. So it's, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's hilarious. That's it's the goofy part of it, but it, yeah. it's crazy. Um, the composer, Alan Silvestri. So this guy's done so many, you know, famous scores. J- just to give you sort of a bookend portion, I mean, Back to the Future, 1985. So he, so he was doing the music for movies like that, all the way up to like the Avengers film, 2012. Mm. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but after watching all these Predator films, I have the Predator score because they they use it throughout the whole thing. That has just permeated my brain, and I'll, I'll I'll just walk around, I'll make a sandwich, and in my head, I'm doing the Predator theme music <laughs> while I'm just putting a sandwich together. It's so good. Uh, we can't talk about this film without talking about Stan Winston, so the creature creation, and you know, just a little refresher, Stan Winston is responsible for things like the Terminator, you know, from 84 aliens in 86, another fantastic sequel, Batman returns, Jurassic park, galaxy quest, iron man. Uh, I mean, Stan Winston probably has made some of the most iconic creatures makeup. I mean, you name it. He's, he's one of the tops. Uh, yeah, j- like Edward Scissorhands, like yeah. all, all that. So all the, pretty much anything you think like, Oh, that looks cool. Stan Winston's was behind it. And I think the creation for the predator, if I, I'm going to probably tell the story and somebody's like, no, that never happened, Troy, but I'd heard or read the story that Stan Winston was working with drawings on an airplane and trying to figure out like what the predator should look like. And I guess he was with James Cameron and James Cameron said, you know, I like mandibles. You should, you should put those on the face. And so at, at the request of James Cameron kind of saying, you, you should design it this way, that ended up becoming the main look of the Predator. So at least, I don't know if that story is true or not, something that I read. Sometimes, uh, the, the even if it's not true, it, it yes. sounds good enough to be true. That's it's a cool story, it. yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting is there's a name that when it shows up in the credits of any film, especially in the 80s, 
and probably early 90s, I always got super excited. And it's the name Joel Silver. Silver. Yeah. I, for the longest time, you know, we, we talk about actors, directors, whatever. I would always get super excited when Joel Silver was producing a film. And I've seen interviews with him, and, and he had a very basic formula where it's like, okay, if I'm looking at a script, especially for an action film, every 15 minutes that something has to happen. There's going to be an explosion, something of that nature. And it, and it sounds you know kind of silly, but if you go and look at what Joel Silver has been a producer of, it's just mind-boggling in terms of, really of 70s and 80s actions. And I, I totally had forgot that he kind of started back in the day as an associate producer, and he had worked on The Warriors from 1979. But when you, when you look at this list and you go 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, Commando, Lethal Weapon, Action Jackson from 88, which is one of my favorite 80s films mm. with Carl Weathers, Die Hard, Demolition Man, The Matrix, Romeo Must Die. I mean, we got Jet Li, you know, <laughs> over here. Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang you know, a Shane Black film, V for Vendetta, Speed Racer, The Nice Guys. Joel Silver, I think, single-handedly is probably responsible for my, you know, just love of films growing up, growing up, especially for like the big budget Hollywood action films. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say like, when I was probably five years old, I thought, hey, this guy, Joel Silver, his name just has to be on movies for it to be a movie. Like, that's just <laughs> kind of what I thought. Like, oh, he's his name's got to be on there. It's like a stamp of approval or something. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if you have a, a love for him the way I do. Um, but yeah, he's just, if I see his name, I get super excited. We, we can't forget the Rennie Harling dice clay masterpiece, uh, the advantage of fourth daily now that just goes to film. show how deep his influence goes. Yeah. But it, it, he, if you think of like Robert Evans in the seventies kind of defied a decade. Yeah. And, and then you go to the eighties and nineties, he's Joe Silver, Don Simpsons that, that just were just like, yeah, shit and gold basically everything <laughs> yes. that they touched just went to gold and it was great to have all these uh simpson bruckheimer um joel silver as well and just the, it really is an outrageous run of films absolutely ridiculous like films that actually defined a decade that, that we talked about before and he, having his name at the helm is is just like a gold seal of approval yeah and, and i love a guy like this because he obviously understands what he's making he has a template and he goes, hey, it doesn't matter what kind of screenplay is coming to me. He's obviously looking for something very specific and then he reworks it in such a way. And and like you said, I mean, he, he's hitting gold with most of his releases. Now he has some out there that are probably clunkers, but I would even go so far to say like a, a bad quote unquote bad Joel Silver film is still an entertaining Joel, you know, film. The guy knows. Seems to be a, there seems to be a lot of punts taken on like relatively new directors as well. Um Again, let's say use Rennie Harlan as, a, as an example. Um, yeah. Coming off the back of Nightmare on Elm Street and then getting a diehard film is, is is ridiculous. So he obviously sees something. He's almost like tapping into the zeitgeist of the era as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Troy, you want to hear the business side of uh, Joel Silver? Yeah, let's go, man. Okay. Joel Silver helped invent Ultimate Frisbee. Do what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, 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 yeah, Ultimate Frisbee. He helped create the rules for Ultimate Frisbee. He is in the, I believe he is in the, the Frisbee Hall of Fame or something like that. Shut the front door. No way. You could ch- you could you can double check me if you want. I think he is in like the Frisbee Hall of Fame. You you astound me, Brad. I learned so much just <laughs> every time we talk. Okay. Let's talk about the people in front of the the camera. This gets interesting. Danny Glover. Uh the first thing I want to talk about with Danny Glover is this kind of knocked my socks off. I had always assumed it, now confirm this for me. 
Danny Glover has not won an Academy Award, correct? No. No. That's mind-boggling to me, considering how many movies he's been in and how good he is. He he does have an Academy Award. It's the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award. Mm. But I don't see he's, – he's got a ton of awards, um, Emmys and stuff like that, nominations for the stuff that he's done on TV. But it amazes me that he just hasn't been nominated for some of his work. And I always thought he's just one of those fantastic actors. I don't know what you mm. guys think. Oh, absolutely. Danny Glover's on the Mount Rushmore for me. I think he – yeah, absolutely. I'm watching the Lethal Weapon series over lockdown in the UK mm-hmm. was just – I just didn't want it to end. It was like every Sunday – I'd watch a Lethal Weapon film. It was like being with two kind of surrogate dads. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. He's just, he's just such a uh, he's such a likable actor, and he can do the tough, he can do the soft, he can do the funny, he can do the hard. He's, his his range is absolutely brilliant, and it you know going from his his Lethal Weapon action films and doing something like To Sleep with Anger as well, and and popping up. I think I was really surprised he popped up in a Saw film, and he was he's like mm-hmm. always still being like kicking around. And yeah, he's a, a big fan of Danny Glover. Yeah, he's in the first Saw film. Yeah, he, gets, right. he gets the shotgun to the face. Well, Spoiler alert. But yeah. And he's so late eighties, early nineties, Danny Glover was just in about everything. So lethal weapon two came out in 89. So he does predator two in 1990, but he has to sleep with anger in 1990. The following year he does flight of the intruder. That's 91, a rage in Harlem in 91, pure luck in 91, which is a terrible film. Um, the one with Martin short, I think. And then uh, Grand Canyon, 1991. So this guy, especially in the early 90s, was just cranking out stuff in film and TV. He's probably one of the hardest working actors out there during this time period uh, when he made Predator 2. So uh, the other one we get to talk about, super excited about talking about this guy, Gary Busey. He plays Peter Keys, right? And I, I just have to ask both of you, have you seen the Buddy Holly story from 1978? long 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 time ago but yeah i've i've definitely seen it okay i don't i don't think i have oh brad you need to correct I, this okay. one. <laughs> so and i've watched it recently i forget how good that movie is and i also forget how good gary Busey's in it especially when you realize that he did his own singing and played you know his own instrument the guitar and everything for that film he was nominated for best actor uh, for the Buddy Holly story, but if you have, I mean, if if you like Gary Busey, you will become a big Gary Busey fan. I think if you just go back to one of his earlier films in '78, that movie is phenomenal. It's such a good film, and he was in Silver Bullet. So, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, a much a much better film. No, not not to the Buddy, <laughs> but so about this time period, he was doing uh, Lethal Weapon in '87. Um, after he did Predator Two, which interesting predator two was the first film he made after his near fatal motorcycle accident so i don't know if you guys remember this yeah um he was riding around and just almost died uh because he wasn't wearing a helmet and now as a result of that i mean he's he's big on the helmet laws and stuff like that but um after predator two he did point break which i think is another sort of iconic action film from that time period i was just gonna say um he he seems to have this like maniacal energy around him um I, it's always like a Tom Cruise on speed, whereas Tom Cruise is very small in stature, but big in personality. Gary Busey is just like big on everything. Yeah. And obviously his, his facial um, features are very, very striking as well. And yeah, his filmography is brilliant. He, even going back to, st- like say, 70s stuff like A Star is Born and Straight Time with Dustin oh. Hoffman. He's, he's yes. got a very, you know, he's been around a long, long time. Uh, I love watching Gary Busey interviews too. 
Um, he's he's so energetic. And at this time period, too, he was making a lot of uh, what what you might call uh, B action films about that this time period, too. That I mean, you would find probably on on video at your at your video store. It played in a few theaters, but he's always been a fun actor. A couple of do you other remember his uh, sorry. Do you yeah. remember his reality TV show? Oh, I'd seen clips of it, but I never watched it. Um, I, I'm I'm hoping that surfaces one day because I remember getting very uh, dodgy rips of it because we couldn't get it in the UK and it was just eye opening. Was he on yeah. Celebrity? Was it Celebrity Rehab? Was he on? No, Celebrity no, Rehab? he he had like his own Gary Busey oh. reality show, and he he was going all about his conspiracies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, with him, I can't tell if it's an act or if he really believes that. Like, if something jarred from the motorcycle, the motorcycle accident, accident yeah, might yeah. have jarred some things loose. Okay, yeah. uh, it's goddamn aliens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple other folks we've got: Ruben Blades as Danny, Maria Conchito Alonso as Leona. Wait, come on! Like, what? does anyone have a cooler name than Ruben Blades? Like, if your name is Ruben <laughs> Blades, like you're either a bouncer or you're an actor. He doesn't look like a bouncer, though. No, he does not. <laughs> uh, we get Bill Paxton. So Bill Paxton, is he is he the actor now that has died as a result of Aliens, a Predator? What's the, what's the other one? Terminator. 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 That's right. He's a bunker one, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Adam Baldwin shows up as Garber. We talked about Adam Baldwin when we talked about Serenity. A uh, What I think is a Joel Silver staple here, Robert Davi. Shows up as Captain Phil Heineman. I always get excited when we see Robert Davi. Definitely. Uh, Morton Downey Jr. as Tony Pope. I don't know if you guys remember this. Morton Downey Jr. used to have a talk show at some point, like in the early 90s, maybe it was late 80s. I think it was early 90s. Man, he was so annoying. I, I just, <laughs> every time I see Morton Downey Jr., I just want to punch his face. Uh, lastly, we get Kevin Peter Hall as the Predator. Now, Kevin stands six foot nine inches, and he played the original Predator. He was also in, like, Harry and the Hendersons. He was Harry. This is sad. I didn't know this. So Predator 2 was released in November, right? And in April 1991, so just a few months later, he died of AIDS, which he contracted through a blood transfusion a few months before. That's so sad. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you know all this James, but I thought this was super interesting, the production and development. So a Predator sequel had not been planned, and specifically folks were wanting to see how successful a Predator comic book series did, right? So it started there. And after the the comic book series was a hit, producer Joel Silver was finally able to get 20th Century Fox to say, okay, we should make a sequel because people are really excited about this comic book. And Predator 2 is largely based on the first Predator comic, Concrete Jungle, from 1989. I don't know if you guys have read it. It's it's actually really good. Mm-hmm. No, no, yep. no. Yep. Yep. So the script was then developed in just three weeks. So, you know, the Thomas Brothers get together and they say, okay, let's, let's go ahead and do this. And apparently they're borrowing heavily from the comic book. Uh, man, this is where it gets super interesting. John McTiernan was offered the chance to direct, but turned it down to work on the hunt for red October. And also at this time period, one of the reasons why he turned it down was they didn't want to pay his directing fee and his directing fee was $2 million at that point. And so that would have created an issue for the budget. Um, Joel Silver invited director Stephen Hopkins 
uh, to direct this film after seeing, you know, and working on Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Hopkins joined the production before the screenplay was finished, so he worked closely with the Thomas brothers in the script revisions and storyboarding the sequences he had written. I'm assuming they're brothers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, for the lead role of LAPD officer, Officer Harrigan, Hopkins had originally envisioned, this This is amazing, I, in another reality, this movie should exist. <laughs> he originally wanted Patrick Swayze playing the role, teaming up in, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who would return from the first film. How amazing would that Predator movie be? <laughs> it's, it's hard to imagine that. Yeah, just so much hair and so much oiled muscles. It's just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I just, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Patrick Swayze, like buddy film chasing after a predator. That, I never wanted to. Dutch has got like a third arm growing out of his face because he was so close to that nuclear explosion at the very end of number one. He has a third boob or something. He doesn't have any hair and he's got an extra arm. Yeah. 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 Uh, but due to a dispute over salary, Schwarzenegger declined to return to the sequel. And plus, I think Patrick Swayze at that time was making Roadhouse and was hurt mm-hmm. and, and couldn't do this. Uh, this this is another version of Predator I would love to see. Uh, Hopkins also met with Steven Seagal for the yep. role. Uh, although the actor was interested in starring in the film and had his own ideas about the character, wanting to portray him as a CIA psychiatrist and martial arts expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, you know a lot of psychiatrists who are also martial arts experts. So that Venn diagram is probably a lot, isn't it? I, w- I wonder if he would do the role now, maybe just on a cheaper oh. version. Um, the thing is with with Seagal as well, and he's kind of like end of level boss fights that he does. No one gets a lick on him. Like that, <laughs> I, I think that was actual a contractual thing of his for a while that if he's fighting anyone at the end he like comes out on top very quickly yeah. think of under siege i think that fight's over in like two minutes oh, <laughs> yeah, the the night big fight. Boss. i could uh, just imagine going up and just like <laughs> it's just funny to imagine steven seagal going against the predator and just him having his way with him in about two minutes the ultimate <laughs> killer's just disposed with in roll credits i watched some him some movie with him and mike tyson and every time they went in close you could tell that the double was not Steven Seagal when he was getting punched. He's like, no, man, I'm not getting punched by Mike Tyson. And like, yeah. <laughs> and like they have this shot where he's riding a motorcycle and it's clearly not him riding a motorcycle and he has a helmet on and they literally just like green screen his face over the visor. Oh, you have to look for this movie. It is. Is that so China, bad. China salesman? Is that what that name of that film is? You know what? I think that is. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I, that's been on my, I want to see it cause it looks terrible. Um, yeah, I'm excited. So here's a couple other things. This was the first film to be given the newly instituted NC-17 rating in the U.S. for its graphic violence. And they had to do a big recut in order to get it to its final theatrical length. Uh, I haven't seen this video. I don't, I don't know if you have, James. There's a short unofficial music video that was made towards the end of filming with Danny Glover dancing with a bunch of the Predators. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's, there's footage of it out there. Um, there's, a, there's a good story around the Predators as well. That They were all pretty much... Outside of the, the main one itself, they were just all Lakers players because <laughs> Danny Glover's a big Lakers fan, so they're oh, the biggest okay. guys. So they just got them all in the costumes and had a dance for a music video. That's awesome! Wow, uh, bad, is it? That makes total uh-huh. sense though, because everybody in the background—I mean, you've got Kevin Peter Hall, who's huge. So yeah, if you're going to mm-hmm. get somebody that's just as tall, it's got to be like the Lakers, right? <laughs> 
there was a novelization. It was written by Simon Hawk. It was released in 1990. I'm, I'm always really super fascinated by these novelizations that have come out for films because they give you a bunch of backstory. And apparently the novelization did provide a small amount of information regarding Dutch, you know, the Schwarzenegger character from the first mm-hmm. movie. So uh, Keys, which is the Gary Busey character, basically recalls speaking to the major, so Dutch, while he's in the hospital suffering from radiation sickness, right? So Dutch is said to have escaped from the hospital, never to be seen again. And furthermore, apparently the novel tells a great deal of the story from the Predator's point of view, such as its humiliation of having its mask removed by Harrigan and its reasoning for not killing Cantrell due to the discovery of her pregnancy. So that happens um, in the sequence as well. Uh, this film. So you're telling me in the predator universe that Dutch is still alive. Yes, absolutely. So if we could like predator five, it's like old folks home predator comes back. He's all old. Dutch is old. And they have like an old man fight. We could do that. I mean, they, there's gotta be room for him coming back or doing at least a cameo in the next one, because uh, I mean, we'll probably talk about the, the other films shortly, but it, it almost must be like it's something he has to do yeah. now he's getting old. And I don't know what the plot for the new one is. I think it might be based on a planet again uh, with the protagonist as a, a female predator. So I think a lot of the plot's up in the air, but there's, there's got to be scope for a I comeback. I thought some, it was like a, it's takes place um, like back in time and it's, and it's centered around like native American. Oh yeah. This is like the native Amer- you're, yeah, yeah. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. Okay. Let's just jig my memory. That's right. Yeah. No, when, when I was reading about the other films, Schwarzenegger, they keep approaching Schwarzenegger about coming back and having bit parts for it, but either due to, he was going to be mayor or he's working on something <laughs> else. Uh, and plus his salary, they can never make it happen. So they've, they've always wanted to bring Dutch back, but it, it just hasn't happened yet. But I, I agree with you. It, at some point, it has to. Um, th- this I found interesting, too. So when it was released, and I know you talked about some of the reviews and the critical ratings, a lot of the major reviewers did not like this film at all. And I thought this was interesting. And I, I want to know if you guys see the same thing. So New York Times, Janet Maslin called it an unbeatable contender for the most mindless, mean-spirited action film of the holiday season. So I, I think it's I think it's really curious she uses the term mean-spirited. I, I find the movie kind of fun. Um, <laughs> Chicago Sun-Times critic Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars. You can actually see the Siskel and Ebert review yeah. online. He suggested it represents an angry and ugly dream. He also felt that the creature's design had racist undertones where subliminal clues encourage us to subconsciously connect the menace with black males. The dreadlock sort of thing. I've always heard the dreadlock thing is, you know, supposed to be a parallel to black, but I I never got that. Okay. To be honest with you. Yeah, I I didn't either. I thought that was super interesting that when this came out, I mean, so many people were reading into it that way. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of scope for comparisons there. Um, But but it's, it's just a cool feature. <laughs> it's an alien. It might yeah. not be dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, Troy, I, I also have another review for you, buddy. Okay. It's not as, it's not as thorough as our last one, but movie guide. If you're not familiar with movie guide, movie guide is the Christian website that reviews oh, wow. uh, cinema <laughs> for uh, obscene content. Oh, goodness. Uh, 
Predator gets a negative three. I don't know what the scale is. Yesterday, last time it was negative four. Predator gets a negative three. So I guess on their scale. So they found my boss's daughter more offensive than Predator 2. Yeah, remember they had had a pagan worldview. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah, yeah. Got it. So it's not as. I, I don't want to hype this up. It's not as good as the last one. It's only like four sentences. Oh, uh, approximately 95 obscenities and 10 profanities. James, you're a smart guy. What's the difference? What's the difference between a, an obscenity and a profanity? Are they talking about obscenities as in visual violence? Maybe. Or? Okay. That's what yeah, we're I'm, I'm guessing. That's what okay. the, the difference would be. Okay. So 95, they counted 95. So you're the guy watching this movie. You have to count like all the, dead bodies and stuff in this movie, female nudity, fornication, sexual lewdness and immortality, murder, extreme violence, graphic carnage and destruction of property. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Can't forget about that is voodoo ritualism, which, you know, the Christians don't like and substance abuse. Surely that's just going to entice all these innocent Christian children. To I know, I know. that was film. like, <laughs> if I'm going to this website, I'm like, wow, it's got all of that in it. I'm seeing Predator. Too. Yeah, I'd, I'd filter by all the negative, like give yeah. me the negative four <laughs> to three. And those are the movies I'm going to watch. Destruction of property. Sign me up. Uh, I, are there any other interesting stories you can think of, James? I, I just tried to pull some of the most um, fascinating ones. There, there's a lot of good reviews with um, the director about the He's making the, of um, a commentary. One of my favorite ones is the alleyway where the predator meets King Willie and there's a bit of a showdown. This is like a, a very famous alleyway in LA and a friend of mine's sister used to li- literally live around the corner. It's where near where they film, they live as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the big fight scene and yeah, apparently like finding dead bodies when they were filming, they were constantly getting attacked by people, just throwing things out of windows at them and stuff. So it was like a real horrible alleyway <laughs> that someone had died in. There was probably all kinds of manners of, uh, yeah, bodily fluids and the like lying around. But I think that almost kind of just gives the film a bit more gravitas that they were willing to go through that in the middle of LA in a heat wave to, to kind of get this film done. It must have been rough. Yeah. I heard I heard that story and, and I watched the scene after I knew that. And it's like Danny Glover does have a little pep in his step to get back in that car. He's like, I better hurry up and get back in this car. Because <laughs> well, I, I might the rats were huge and going after yeah. everybody too. So yeah. yeah, that's a great story. Well, I'm I'm curious to just share our thoughts on this one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, James. You you got to revisit again. You've already mm-hmm. talked about this film on your podcast with um I mean one of the greats, Will from the Gentleman's Guide. It's such He's a great episode. You you've got to go back and listen to that, everybody. But you you sat down, you revisited this. What what's what's your new take on Predator Two? I mean, you you have to have seen it what a dozen plus times already. Yeah, I mean, just to give you a bit of a backstory, um, over in the UK, when, when I was growing up, so late 80s, early 90s, we only had four channels on, on terrestrial television. Satellite and cable really wasn't a thing. So on ITV, which was the third station on a Saturday night after 10 o'clock would be action film time. And my gran and I had this like real great bond over watching action films. And it was always a Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, Seagal. And, and Predator 2 was one of the ones that really stood out from around about that time, um, especially the initial voodoo scene where they kind of break into the um, the cartel's apartment. And it, all this kind of imagery just stuck with me. And then when I became of age, got it on VHS and then DVD. And I've, I've, I've always been kind of a, a very kind of outspoken voice about the film because I feel it's, it's definitely 
up there with one of the greats of the 90s for me. And it just adds so much more to the mix. So you don't just have your kind of gang against the Predator. This time it's the LAPD against the Predator. You're bringing in Jamaican drug gangs, you're bringing in the cartel, and there's so many different things, and each gets resolved in its own different way. Um, and obviously, towards the end, you're going to want to see the spaceship. When we see the spaceship this time, we see more than one predator as well. So it's giving audience everything they want, as well as kind of like nods to things here and there with a few little Easter eggs dotted around on the spaceship as well. Um, and it, it's genuinely one of my all-time favorite action films, and for me, a perfect example of what a sequel should be. So why do you think it didn't resonate the way it did? I, I'm wondering if it's one of those things. I've always heard this. Like when you when you get something otherworldly like the Predator and it's that big, like the only the only person that could take it on is an Arnold Schwarzenegger type hero, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and in this film, you get Danny Glover. So do you think people were just let down simply because Schwarzenegger didn't return for it and they just were not open to kind of go along the ride as Danny Glover? being the hero or, I mean, why, why didn't it resonate? Cause I feel like everybody gets it now, but back mm. in the nineties, it just, it, it really kind of came out of the, uh, the, the gate and that weekend, just not able to contend with everything else that's out there. You're probably right. A majority of it will be down to star power because Arnie was the biggest actor in the world at that time. Um, so if he's not attached to it, people are going to go, hang on a minute, well, why doesn't he want to do it? What's what's kind of going on here? But I think in the first Predator as well, you have a group of people in a kind of almost like neutral territory. So you've got the you've got the jungle. So everybody's kind of figuring the way as they go. Whereas in LA, you have the streetwise cop in Danny Glover who knows how to navigate the streets, you know, is very wry and, and sprightly and that kind of thing as well. So it's almost this time the Predator's coming to their turf. And to me, that's a better premise than just kind of being out in the open, muscly dudes shooting guns. Obviously, it's awesome because it's a great film, but I, I just think the stakes in this are just better. It's, there's a lot more going on. Okay. Well, Brad, what, what's your initial reaction? You sat down, watched it. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I watched it. I watched Predator and then immediately watched Predator 2. Um, and I was amazed watching it this time. It had been a while, unfortunately. Um, just how little they care to exposit any sort of plot at all in this movie. You get it kind of towards yeah. the back end, but we get that first shootout and then like you're literally just going and it really doesn't stop um, until they kind of get to that trailer and you figure out what keys and his group are there for. And then you're at the end and it's like over and you're like, wow, like that was a lot of action in a uh, hundred minutes. And I, I, I kind of respect it for that. Cause it's just like, we're not going to, like if it was made today, Predator 2 would be two hours and 30 minutes long. We'd have some backstory about the Predator and this and that. And who cares? Like, no, this is like, hey, we have cops. We have Jamaican, uh, you know, and then we have the cartel and we have uh, a Predator that you know, you kind of know about from before. But, you know, it's still this mysterious thing. And I kind of really enjoy just watching an action movie that's just action. Like we don't get really... I guess John Wick is kind of like that, but even then, you know, you're stopping at that hotel a lot and there's a lot of talking this, like there's not much going on. Um, I will say that I'm glad that Bill Paxton has gone on to do other things because boy, he's annoying in this movie. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing that doesn't hold up for me is like, boy, Paxton is really bad in this movie. Um, 
but hey, he he went on to have a great career, so good for him. But I I like you put this on and like it's over and you're like, holy shit, like that's a movie. Now that is a movie. Um, because it just there's no wasted time in this. You're like, I don't know what they could cut to make this any better or anything like that. I'm with James. Like, I kind of thought that this thing was it's not better to me. It's not better than the first one, just because those guys are like so iconic. Um, but this one, I think it's just as good as predator. And I, I, I think the series um, kind of wanes a little bit after this one, but I, man, predator and predator two has like a one, two punch is pretty solid, man. Like I, I enjoyed watching those back to back and, and, <laughs> You're just like, these are just guys going out to kill something. And it's it's a cool premise. Um, the Predator is a cool um, villain. I, I wish the effects kind of stood up a little bit better. That green screen kind of morph into um, out of camouflage or whatever doesn't hold up mm. great. But, you know, besides that, everything else is cool. I mean, there is so many dead bodies in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, yeah. I, I really, really like it. It's uh it's an awesome action movie. I, I agree. I, this movie doesn't mess around. I mean, within the first five minutes uh, after the title sequence, you're thrown right into a big action sequence and it's a good action sequence too. Right. And the dialogue in it is meant to get the viewer uh, to the next big action moment. So it, there's really zero depth. You don't get a lot of character development. No. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I, and I'll say the other thing. I think modern filmmaking could really take a lot of lessons from Predator 2 in that it does a really good job of world building without stopping the film and explaining everything to you. Yes. And you, you brought up John Wick. Uh, I think John Wick has great action sequences. And I like the latest one because you get Mark Dacascos in there as well. However, I think what John Wick is getting worse at as it goes is the world building. Because now I've I've got to introduce Larry Fishburne and he's got to tell me all of the rules for like the hobos who all know martial arts and gun fu and all this other stuff. And it brings the movie, it just grinds it to a halt. And it's like, let me tell you what the hotel means and all this other stuff. And I feel like all modern franchises they just don't know how to world build without the expository nature. Whereas mm. Predator 2, it's um, it's the stuff that's in the background, right? It's yeah. seeing their technology. You see it in use. And they will talk about something. Oh, we think these guys are coming around you know, every summer at the hottest time. Da, 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 and you get a couple lines here and there. But it's two or three lines and boom, you're, you're into the next action sequence. Whereas today it's, we're going to sit down and draw an entire diagram and probably give you charts. And then you're going to get it over and over and over again. And it's constant world building versus, Hey, we're going to give you a little bit and then we're going to get right back to the action. And I think the plot is as simple as the first one, which is the predator is hunting all these guys down and they're taking them all out until you get to the last man standing and they do that in the first one. They do it in the second one. They stick to what is a good premise, but at the same time, they're adding things to it, right? The men in black stuff with the Gary Busey team, all of that stuff. I think that's what I like about this film so much is 
it, it makes me really wish we got better sequels today. Um, like predator two, because it, it just, it knows what it is and it world builds without all of that expository. And, and touching on the actual predator itself, it's very clear to me that in both of predator and predator two, that it's the predators first hunt. Um, and especially in two, it doesn't need a backstory. Like you say, it doesn't need a cutback to him on his home planet getting prepped for this. It's clear due to the fact that he can't really do his job very well. And it's continuously hunting people and trying to figure people out. And when it comes to the the showdown with Danny Glover, it gets to a point where he clearly knows he's going to fail and tries to kill them both and, and set off the bomb that blows off a block. Um, and he, he can't even do that correct. So it, there's a lot of kind of naivety in the Predator as well that it seems a bit out of his depth in this environment with someone who's, like you say, a bit more street smart and and tougher than they expected with this. Um, and it, it's more shown as well at the end where they hand over the gun and it's from like, is it 1776? So again, that first Predator game up against someone that he was in his natural environment and was able to deal with him um, duly. Yeah, James, that's when America won. 1776. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Brad, that's not how we need that. <laughs> we don't need yeah. uh, <laughs> Switching. So I don't know if they ever explain this. I could be dumb and just not. It's like a rite of passage for the predators, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So they're going in, like, they're becoming men, essentially. This mm-hmm. is like, so you could assume in some sort of way that maybe these are younger predators. And that's why you get kind of them kind of screwing up every once in a while because they're not like they're not experts at this they're like going out killing because it's a part of them like becoming men or whatever or whatever it is in predator lore right yeah okay but the 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 trophy in the end is the person so the the skull skull, yeah is the greatest in this case danny glover and it makes me laugh uh just touching on the uh the, the opening set piece that you were talking about there troy it's i timed it last night it's 13 and a half minutes of just insane 90s action. And it's got loads of things that you just never see in films anymore. Um, like you say, you've got the renegade cop just steaming in in his car. He opens up the trunk. You have the, I think it's a Desert Eagle with the laser sight. You yes. never see laser sights anymore. <laughs> Dual wheeled in Uzis. Um, you've got the bad guy who's like dousing his face in cocaine and going absolutely wild. And it is 12 and a half minutes of just absolute brilliance. And when you talk about great shootouts in cinema, everyone's like, heat, heat. Of course, heat's a great shootout in cinema because that is a methodical, like, that is how that would happen in real life. Now, I'm not saying what is in Predator 2 is going to happen in real life, but <laughs> my God, is it entertaining. And it is just absolutely brilliant because you've just got cars flying up into real set piece explosions. Um, you've got just people firing all over the place trying to get what they want. It, it's it's amazing. It's such a good opening. Yeah, I miss movies like that where the collateral damage is real or it feels mm-hmm. real, right? So yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Danny Glover comes in in that car, and even before he parks it, he's already hit two cars. I mean, he's tearing <laughs> things up, right? And and I, I miss the 80s action hero that just pops open the trunk and is like has an entire arsenal. And you're like, well, how did he get all that on a cop salary? Doesn't matter, right? It's there, and you know he's going to use all of that at some point during the film. So I think this movie does a really good job of setting up almost foreshadowing moments of, okay, you've got this character who's afraid of heights. They established that early on. You got this character Mm -hmm. who has a trunk full of guns. You know he's going to use all of that stuff, right? Even the Predator does a couple of new things and you go, oh, well, we've got new technology. Um, this, This film takes the elements that worked in the first film 
and just amps it up. I mean, even down to the, what, what I guess you would call the predator field surgery. So in the, in the first predator, he gets hit, right? Takes out something, gives himself a shot and clips it over and it's over. Right. In this one, he's concocting something out of glass and concrete and you get this whole elaborate thing. And then he's, you know, trying to, I don't know, seal up his severed hand and all his gunshots and it, and that's what I like about this film. It, it takes these things that were cool from the previous one and it goes, Oh, we're going to take it up to an 11 or, or like double the intensity or double everything. Um, I really, so you mentioned the first sequence, which is like, you know, 12, 13 minutes of pure action. I got to say this film has so many great action sequences. Like another one I love is the warehouse sequence where it's all in blue And, um, next thing, you know, you know, they're hunting the predator. They're going to try and freeze it or do whatever. And the tables turn when the predator is not using heat anymore. And you get this sequence where they're kind of all standing around and he comes from the top and kind of falls in the middle of it. I think it's filmed fantastic, good editing, everything. Um, that's why I wanted to mention, um, Peter Levy, because I I think he shoots the hell out of this thing. Like the action sequences look fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and again, that's that's a really good, uh, really good example of a, of a set piece that is, is just methodical in the way that it's set out, and everything's going to plan. But then the predator's just got one more trick up his sleeve, and, and eventually caps them, catches them out. Um, but the, the whole run up to that, especially with the, the chat, and you're talking about the lore, it touches on what happened in the jungle um, many years ago, and it's just giving you the hints there, just to remind you that you're in kind of familiar hands. So. Yeah. I think their their assumption that like oh it can only see in heat this like technologically advanced creature can only see in heat like so we'll be fine if it's all cold like I think that's a really bad assumption because it's like this thing is so far advanced that we're just gonna assume it can't do one thing and that's a bad idea bad idea oh I agree come on man uh, but you know again it's it's another great example of the back part of this film. So, you know, you get the subway sequence. I think it's okay. I'm, I'm never a big fan of like the strobe light effect that is mm-hmm. kind of hiding the action. But if they're going to do it, I would say they did it fine in this one. Like I never at one point didn't know what was going on and there were some cool effects to it. But I got to tell you, as soon as you start with that meat plant all the way to the end of the film, it's one big action sequence. It is. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I was a small... Sorry, there's like a small catching your breath moment and then straight again, like straight back into it. Yeah, and and how they managed to go from that into the side of a building and then back down. I love the, I can't even think of the word for it, but the movement of the story and how it goes through these buildings Mm -hmm. up to the top of a building, to the side of a building. Next thing you know, you're in an elevator shaft and you're under the city I love that whole chase sequence and that movement. Uh, and again, all of the things that it's hinting at at the beginning of the film in terms of you know him dealing with heights and all this other stuff, it starts to play out. And that whole arsenal of guns, I mean, just as soon as he sees everybody getting wiped out, he goes to his trunk, and I'm, I'm giddy at that point. Like, I had goosebumps. I'm like, yes, get everything from the trunk and take it with you and go into that warehouse, and he does. <laughs> and, it, and it's a fantastic payoff. That's one of my favorite things in this film. Um, I was going to say, like, literally the third act he talks to the guys in that trailer for like five minutes. And that's like the only time we're really like catching our breath a little bit. 
um, yeah, like the traversal of the, of the setting is really impressive. Um, because we're thinking, ah, it's in the city and what can they do? It's not as cool as the jungle. And it's like, wait, actually it turns out to be like better than the jungle. Cause we're up yeah. in really high buildings and we're down in the street then we're on the side of buildings and then we're in a meat packing plant. And like it, it, the way they traverse things, it's really impressive. Um, it, it, it really keeps it fresh and, and, but you never really feel like you're getting lost. Like, where are we? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, goes to show like this thing is shot amazingly and you can follow the action you know i i kind of miss these days where things are shot really well um not that everything is shot bad now but it just it's so kinetic and up close and i just miss stuff like this and when you see it and it's done well you're like we need to have more movies like this that are shot like this um mm-hmm. i agree what when you especially when you're in the jungle it's very easy to use the same location multiple times because no one's going to realize it's the yeah. jungle. Whereas you've got to be on your toes when you're in a city because every single location is different. It's not the same. And what you said, Troy, is, is uh, I, it's always been there on the surface, never picked up on it before, but it's almost like a video game type, like level to level to level end boss. It, it's, it's a really brilliantly played out um, set piece, let's say, over, over the back end of the film. Yeah, I can honestly tell you the first time I remember seeing this in the theater and walking out of the theater going, I don't know how I feel about this because I wanted more of the first one because I, I I mean, I love the first movie and especially renting it, watching it on cable. I mean, Predator was just and I, even today, I, I think the first Predator is a probably a perfect film, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in terms of what it does, what it sets out to do. It's so memorable. And when I saw this the first time, I'm like, OK, it's got the same elements but it's different. And and I'll be honest, this is one that every time I rewatch it, I like it a little bit more to where this viewing, I would kind of agree with you, Brad. It's not to the level of the first one, but oh my gosh, what talk about a one, two punch. I almost think it's, it's right up there. It's, it's just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, I probably laughed more this time. Let me ask you guys this. So do you think the comedy works in this film? Because there are a lot of comedic moments, and it and the and it's not just Bill Paxton. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I think there's a lot in terms. I, I think it's just making light of the situation, really, uh, especially at the start as well, with the, with the kind of amped up cartel guys just doing absolute bucket loads of coke, <laughs> and then the bit with the, the 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 kind of ritual sacrifice, the the other kind of second big set piece with the Predator, uh, where, where they're just all having a laugh with it, and I suppose. That that's what you're going to do in a situation like that is have a laugh with it. But yeah, I think the beats work and and bright kind of bringing a predator into that kind of urban setting. You're going to have to have those little interactions. Um, apparently, there's quite a lot. Of, there were a load and load of deleted scenes from this, which never made it to any kind of physical media. Uh, and I found a, a, a kind of comprehensive breakdown. And there's a lot of shots that never made it onto the final cut of the predator out and about in LA, just kind of like mixing between crowds and the camouflage, like, you know, figuring out his environment. I think those would have been really good to have in of him just kind of like figuring out where he is. Uh, um, yeah. That, that's yeah. That, that would have been a really good addition for me. I, I, so there's a couple of moments I laughed out loud during this thing. The I'm f- curious where you laugh. Cause I don't know if yeah. I, the, the first one is the subway sequence when they're bullying the one guy and he pulls a gun out and then everybody on the train has a gun. Oh, I thought that was yeah. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was more of like a New York thing. I, I yeah, I guess yeah. stereotypically that that's like a New York thing, but I get it. It's LA. Yeah. It's like the West coast, New York. I get it. The other sequence that I think 
I think it's one of the best exchanges. I'm going to go, I'm going to go out. This is not hyperbole. I will put money on this. It's one of the best exchanges in all of action cinema. So what you're going to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. It's Harrigan is chasing the predator. Predator goes crashing through this old person's apartment. Right. And the old lady's coming out, like trying to get her husband. I, I think somebody's in our bathroom. So the predator comes running out of there and is going down the hallway. And then Danny Glover comes busting through and he turns to the old woman and says, it's all right, I'm a cop. And she says, I don't think he gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I am just rolling at that point. And I I think it's, again, that is so unexpected. And it provided, I mean, you're already kind of amped up because of the action sequence. And when that happens, you're like, yes, he doesn't give a shit. Just keep going. That was hilarious. Uh, and then you get that one exchange. Um Harrigan's trying to deliver the the Arnold Schwarzenegger line, right? You're one ugly, and the Predator finishes it with motherfucker. <laughs> I, I thought that was good too. So, I I didn't really pick up on it the first time. I think Bill Paxton is supposed to be the comedic relief, and he's mm. not really good in that role. But there's all these other sequences that mm. um, maybe it's because it's 2022 and you're watching this film from the 90s that you know the the whole people putting their nose in cocaine and coming out with a it's you're like that's so crazy and you're having fun with it. But I think there's truly some very, very funny parts. And I, I'm telling you that old lady telling him, I don't think he gives a shit. I, I roll every time I see that. I think it's super there, funny. There's, there's the one with um, keys and, and Harrigan as well, where they're doing the explanation. And it's, it's clear that keys is getting a bit annoyed with Harrigan because he's not quite getting it. And he goes, yes, a fucking alien. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah. real deadpan delivery. It's like, do I have to spell it out for you? And it, that gets me every time. It's really, really funny. Yeah, the, there's also a reference to pushing pencils while they're in the off the. Uh, yes, there is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I, so I love the sequence when all the all the predators show up and Danny Clover's just like, "All right, who's next?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I I really think and and again, it's one of those films that every time I go back and revisit, I get something out of it. I think this time I never really noticed it, but there's a lot of fun kind of built into the movie. Yeah, the and yeah. Uh, I, I never really picked up on it because I'm I'm always so just entranced with the coolness and the shots and and the way it looks and the action sequence. But this time around, I'm like, dude, this this movie's kind of really funny. It's got some really really good moments in it, and it's not just taking a breath, but it is interjecting a little bit of comedy. Now, when it does it with the Bill Paxton, I, I mean, his jokes don't necessarily land, but everything else in there, I, I think I think is golden. Well, yeah, it's also like hyper violent too like i'm surprised i've seen some real violent stuff and even then going back with this it's like man they go for a lot like people's chests are like opened up and like beheadings and things like that like it's so it's nice to i don't know nice is not a really way to see it but it's to have that kind of comedy infused in there kind of helps a little bit um I mean, I don't really mind it. I I wish I could see the NC-17 cut. I want to see mm. as violent as it can get because I think, you know, this movie is violent and I want to see that because I think now like that NC-17 cut is probably an R. I mean, it's an R cut now. Um, so I want to see it. I want to see that, the most hardcore Predator 2 they got. I, th- I think a lot of it plays into um, Hopkins kind of vibe as a director as well especially talking about the comedy because uh, he did Nightmare on Elm Street 5 as well which that's when Freddy was really starting to become mm. the kind of like 
court jester bad guy um and the deaths in that as well while again being overly violent are, are very creative and and almost like matches away in, in coming into this like I don't remember, and obviously I wouldn't have at the time because I was too young, but as I said, the skinning bodies hanging from the ceilings was like a very like, oh, wow, never seen that before. This is new. And it shows it quite a few times as well. Um, and you're talking about the super violence, the, the the opening scene where they finally get to the kind of penthouse area and they're just checking it out. And it's just like a claret massacre everywhere. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't hold back even in this cut. Yeah, I... I- it is a very gruesome film. Um, it's borderline. 95 obscenities. Yes. From movie guy. 95. I actually think that number's low. They missed some. Yeah, I, I think they missed a lot. Yeah. And we can't forget the property damage, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it has the horror elements, which I always like in an action film when you can kind of bring to it. But it's that late 80s, early 90s action horror sci-fi thing. Uh, and it, it, it's a great example. It does it well. I'm, I'm just curious. Do you, do you have a favorite predator moment of this film? Yes, I do. And it is the predator moment where one second, I've got it on my notes. I can't remember the name of the building. Uh, Uh, The Eastern building in LA. Okay. And it's the bit where he's atop and the lightning strikes and he's going absolutely bananas with his staff. Um, That to me is probably one of the most iconic shots in, in any kind of like sci-fi film for me because in the wrong hands, you could have probably have have had the Predator showing up on like the Hollywood Walk of Fame or something, and people are like, ooh, and he's next to the Arnold Schwarzenegger star or something really kind of oh, handed yeah. and very unfunny. But with this, it's just like the the, the pure regression, and it, it's such a good shot. There are, there are a few downtown LA shots in this where it's just the Predator kind of stalking from from a top that are just absolutely awesome. But that that one's my, my favorite by far. How about you, Brad? Mine's the the second kind of action piece with the the guy and his girlfriend in the penthouse and he shoots the when the lasers come down like the three like the triangle laser and he hits that guy and he like explodes like that like sequence right there is my favorite because it's it, it kind of gives us like the shot of his spear and all the technology and stuff it's it's definitely my favorite uh i'm gonna say the 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 shot that even today still makes me gasp is when the predator and I think it's the Bill Paxton character in the subway, he rips the spinal cord out with the head, and then moves away. I mean, it's you see it from a distance because I think Danny Glover is now chasing him, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just real quick, and all of a sudden he just pulls this spinal cord head thing. It's flailing up above him, and then he runs off and. Even to this day, got it's called getting sub zero, getting sub zero. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and I watched it in 4k and I'm like, Oh my God, it, it, the detail on that is ridiculous. When I was, I was working in the movie theater when this came out uh, and the first poster. So the teaser, the advanced poster, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this image. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the red one where he's kind of standing on what looks like a gargoyle or a bird thing. Mm-hmm. And yep. he's got the staff in one hand and the spinal cord with the, the skull in the other right so when when we get this movie poster we're like oh my god this movie's gonna be amazing so we put that up and then the next thing you know we get a little notice from fox with a new poster and it's blue and it's just of the predator and it goes hey you need to take the other poster down we've had too many complaints and put this one up instead and send that one back um because people found the the skull and spinal cord too 
offensive. And so that one got lost in the mail and ended up in my basement. So I have it now still. Uh, and, and I like that poster too, but, um, yeah, I no that blue one where he's like all blacked out yeah. is not a good poster. Well, that, that was the replacement one. I, I gotta yeah, tell I you, there's, there's a Turkish movie poster that has more of the sequence you were talking about, James, where you get the like Ellie skyline and then he's standing on the side of a building and it looks like the lightning's hitting. That's probably my favorite predator two poster. Um, I want to say in other countries did a much better job of marketing it outside of that first movie poster. But it just it really gets you going in terms of how many iconic moments are going to be in this thing. I, I think there are so many freeze frame shots of this one, especially in 4K, that when you look at it and you go, that just looks cool. Like it's a cool looking film. And I, I can't remember the last time I was watching a movie and I go, you could just pause it and look at it and go, that's so neat. Like how they came up with that image. It's so good. It's almost I'm a big fan of those art of books where you get to see the storyboard and the sketches of things. Right. Um, so if you've watched the Mandalorian, they always close with like the storyboards mm-hmm. of that episode. Sure. Um, and I feel like predator two, I would love to get one of those art of, or making a predator two and see the storyboards. Cause I guarantee what they put on film is probably a one-to-one match. What some graphic artist did. And it looks mm. fantastic coloring and all. I've got that one sheet you were talking about. I've got it. I've got it framed up here as well. I've got somewhere a kind of like Japanese, um, Almost like when cinema releases come out in Japan, they almost give like a booklet of them. Yeah. So I've got one for Predator 2 as well, which, which is like Ooh. just some nice little tidbits of Holy Grail things there. But yeah, you, you, you're right. It, it does. And, and seeing it in 4K as well was a, was a treat because uh, I, I, I can't buy 4K discs. Um, I've, I've got one that a friend could play on his play about just out, out of my kind of price range at the minute. So to see it on Disney Plus was a bit like, oh, Thanks, Mickey. <laughs> the subscription's <laughs> actually paying off for me. Hold on a second. Wait, what? wait, wait, wait. You said wait, this was wait. on Disney Plus over there? Yeah, it's on Disney Plus over here. Yeah. I sent you the picture. Um, the, oh, I didn't. That was from Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was from Disney Plus. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I have. To, I'm, now I'm going to have to check. I, there's no way it's on in the U.S. Not in the U.S. No way. They won't. No. Uh, I bet you it's it on must be some, over a, here. a rights issue or something like that because obviously they own Fox, so all these films are, you know, eventually yeah. they've got a, an unbelievable back catalog there that I hope they do something with over the years. Oh, that's crazy. Um, I, I just want to talk about the the actors, um, specifically Gary Busey, Danny Glover. I mean, what? It, it's not it's not a film that's based on, like, character development or Academy Award performances, but but what did you think about Danny Glover as an action hero, and and even Gary Busey? I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, personally speaking, I mean, he's coming off the back of Lethal Weapon one and two in this, and mm. the one thing I never really noticed in those films is he's he's a big fella, like he's yeah. he's a tall guy, and it's during the standoff with Keys where you're like, holy shit, he's got like three inches on Gary Busey at best, and Gary Busey is a bit of a man mountain anyway, and I think that's one of the thing that makes him suitable for the role because I, I don't think Arnie's a big fella in, in stature, obviously he is in, in muscle, but in height terms, like Danny Glover's almost like eye to eye with the predator in, in some of the, in some of the showdowns uh, and he more than holds his own. And obviously he's going to be a bit of an aged presence in this. And he's going to be wheezing his way through it a bit because of his age. But you know, there's always that LA cop aggression because he's always fighting in a war zone. He finds himself in another war zone. Uh, and, and yeah, the same with Busey. Busey. Uh, there's obviously a bit more of a, uh, a stoic downplayed approach to his acting in this, but I think he comes very cross very well as the kind of like man in black, as you so said. 
I, I think there's a sequence, Danny Glover is changing shirts or something and you get to see his physique and I yeah, did like not ripped. realize how ripped he was. <laughs> mm. Like, I wish they'd shown that a little bit more because he's in great shape in this film. Even, even though he's wearing some just atrocious clothes with that hat, <laughs> him and Bill Paxton <laughs> wear those hats are terrible. Um, but you get glimpses of Danny Glover's, um, like physical features and you're like, Oh dude, yeah, he can go toe to toe with this thing, this alien, um, I, I love it. And I also, Gary Busey is reserved in the beginning, but I love the fact he starts to get a little bit more over the top, especially with his yeah. lions and tigers <laughs> and bears. Oh my. I mean, that whole sequence, it's a lot of fun. Gary Busey's having a lot of fun in this and, and I enjoy it. I don't know what you think, Brad. No, I, I agree. Gary Busey is, he comes onto the scene and you're like, okay, that's Gary Busey. I'm looking at him in 2020 two vision. So when's it going to go crazy? And he's kind of a little bit you know, muted at the beginning. And then he starts adding in a little bit. And then like Danny Glover won't leave him alone. He's always around and you can tell he's getting frustrated. And then he starts turning up the crazy. You're like, Oh, this is the Gary Busey. I want this is give me those. Give me all his teeth. Cause boy, <laughs> he is all teeth. But anyway, um, it's great. I, you know, in, in, Glover, I was surprised at how much I I liked him as an action star in this because, you know, you think of him in a lethal weapon and it's like, oh, two weeks to retirement, yeah, 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 all this stuff. And here it's like, no, he's doing it. Like he's going for it. And for the most part, like he has like Dutch had help. And and those guys, you know, for what they did, you know, they were a body count, but they also helped, you know, murder lots of people. <laughs> this help in this movie is non-existent. So it's just Andy Glover. Um, so it's kind of cool to see him basically be like a one man show. He brings this thing to the role as well, which he does in the lethal weapon films where he's almost like mumbling to himself all the time. So he's like grumbling under his breath and he does it a few times in this as well. And those little interactions with the predator that he has. And, and you talk about get to the chopper and pushing pencils, being lines, but on the rooftop, when he has his one line with the predators, just absolutely incredible. Hey, pussy face. <laughs> like that to me, that's an immortal line. I don't know why people, I want to see that being quoted all the time. Come on. That was probably the best Danny Glover in person you've ever heard <laughs> was spot on man i've done it so many times over the years when i see troy next time in real life i'm just gonna call him pussy face <laughs> um what else i, I mean I, I know we've watched the other predator sequels and i kind of want to mm -hmm. touch on that but what else about this one before we we interject the rest of the uh, our thoughts about the other sequels that you want to talk about i i, I think Again, for me, it's, it's the tapping into the zeitgeist kind of thing, because in the 80s, you had the whole kind of like Reagan era, um, Black Ops and Cold War, this, that and the other. The mercenaries was a very big thing in the 80s, mm -hmm. whereas in the 90s, it was like you say, it was bringing it back to the streets. And there was a problem with Jamaican gangs. It was like a new unknown because in America, it was always gangs and the cartels were fighting and then this kind of wave of crime from Jamaica was coming into play, which they didn't really know how to deal with. And it was not really, not really into voodoo, those Jamaicans, but you know, we'll let that slide. But it, but it was like super, super violence. Yeah. Um, but again, there was, um, it, there was um, Mark for death, the Seagal film, which touched on it as well as, as which was a, yeah. Another Fox uh, production. Yeah, another Fox, I, I, Fox, and that came out in 1990, the same as this year. So I, I had a note in there, like was 20th century Fox, like that was their go-to villain for 
action films that year were Jamaican gangs because they showed up in a Stagall film and they show up in Predator 2. I thought that – and I don't even know if it's the same actors, but it felt like 20th Century Fox is like, well, we need a villain. Oop, Jamaican gangs. <laughs> and that's well, what like, they were putting in the 90s. Kingston, Jamaica was like one of the – like I think it was like the murder capital of the world yeah, for a long was, time. Yeah. 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 And and again with the cartels. So these were like real life issues going on. And you talk about the scene on the subway with the guns, like everybody must have been you know, a big moral panic. Like the nineties was where the kind of like eighties decadence got out of hand and, and reality started coming in. And you've got the thing with the hardcore, which is clearly lifted from Robocop, but works really well in this. Apparently there's a lot of deleted scenes on that as well. And you've got that kind of, you've got the police trying to do their job up against the odds with you know, battling cartels, gangs, you've got an alien coming into play, you've got the press trying to intrude, you've got the captain up his ass all the time. So it's it really is just such a melting pot of, of so many different things going on. And each individual thing works. Nothing seems out of place within that kind of time frame of, of when the film is set. It, it just, yeah, it goes together so well. It's brilliantly executed. It's funny you brought up RoboCop because I felt a lot of RoboCop in this movie as well. Um, yeah. And, and of course, RoboCop was 87 like Predator. But, you know, this one is borrowing a lot from the satire take on a lot of that stuff in RoboCop. So definitely. Yeah. You know, just hearing you talk, James, one, one thing I, I find interesting. And again, it's what I love about films is you can go back and you can look at movies today. You can look at movies 1990 and you see the social aspects coming out. Right. So in the late 80s, I, I always think of two things um, in, in early 90s when you talk about action films. One, um, and, and this happens as a big pinnacle moment in like a top five film of all time for me, Die Hard. And uh, it's when we punch out the press, right? So we punch out the press in Die Hard. We punch out the press here. And Joel Silver actually uses a lot of the same uh, characters, right? So the uh, the person in Die Hard who is the uh, hostage expert that's being interviewed ends up being a reporter in Predator Two, <laughs> and and you get Robert Davi. So Joel Silver likes to use the same people, but I thought it was kind of funny in the action films of that time. Like we didn't trust the press. The press were assholes, and and part of a like a high point in these films was to hit them in the face. And so I think subconsciously, like those moments have programmed me not to trust the press because of all the 80s and 90s action films where we were hitting them, right? And then the other thing is you're looking at a time period where police in these films were understaffed, their hands were tied, and in order to beat the bad guy, they had to go outside the law, right? Mm -hmm. So Steven Seagal made a, a whole career off of that in his early <laughs> films. Um, but I mean that Danny Glover is doing that here, right? Fighting with the captain doing this. Oh, I got to, you tell me to hold back, but I'm going to go in there and shoot everybody up. And, and that was seen as more heroic to not follow the rules. Yeah. Fuck due process basically. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't get away with that type of film today. And if you're making that type of movie today, you're doing it as a social commentary on how evil the police force is. Yeah. Very much so. The, the the cop film is is definitely of its time, and it, it clearly has had its time as well, um, which is a shame, really, because, I, um, I mean, I won't digress in, into any opinions along those lines, but when you're talking about these films as well, they're dealing with a kind of enemy that is either otherworldly or is misunderstood and people don't get it, and the only way to combat it is fire with fire. That, that's the only way you can do it. You're not going to go in like with a white flag and some handcuffs and saying, please come quietly, it's going to explode. And, and that's what it does perfectly um, with, a, like say, a lot of real collateral damage as well. 
And yeah, the heroic cop genre is it's, it's amazing. I, I don't see why there's a problem with it. I saw like talking about RoboCop, someone called it Copaganda <laughs> recently, which <laughs> misses the f- point of the film by such yeah. a drastic <laughs> margin. It's absolutely ridiculous. But there's that kind of thing now with 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 an audience and, and these celebrated films like A Dirty Harry, where it's almost looking back, it's like fascistic, pardon my pronunciation, pronunciation, which, yeah, to a degree it was, but it's of its time and it's understanding films and material that are of their time and not beating them with a modern standard. It's, it's a very kind of low hanging fruit thing to do for me. Yeah, I, I agree. It, and I find it interesting. Like I, I miss the lethal weapons. I miss the diehards. I miss all of those films. And I don't want to sit here and kind of, you know, sound like a old man, get off my lawn, et cetera. The, the superhero genre. I love it. I grew up on comic books. It, it's mm-hmm. awesome. I, I love everything that Marvel's doing DC, all that stuff. But what, what I miss more than anything in my movies is the John McClane's, um, you know, is the Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, um, buddy cop film. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the nice guys and that's more of a recent film because it kind of taps into that to a certain degree. I mean, Shane Black did that one. Uh, and, and to me, I'm like, I, what I loved about it was it exemplified everything that they were doing in the eighties, you know, and, and, and did it really well, but we don't, we don't get that anymore. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just taboo to, to do any kind of story that, that falls on those, those grounds. You could talk about maybe, because obviously superhero films based on comics, comics always kind of have that cinematic feel to it that maybe, I, superhero films could be like the kind of spirit animal to them in some degree, because you've always got the hero going outside the law up against forces that he's never dealt with. Then there's always the buddy element to it as well. So it's kind of there thinly mm-hmm. veiled, I suppose. Obviously, you're not going to be able to, you know, ramp everything up to 11 like we used to see in the 80s and 90s. But, you know, those kind of like mid-budget actioners are definitely a thing of the past now. They just go straight to VOD and just kind of get forgotten about, really. Yeah. Um, I really think we grew up in a, like say, I'm not going to do the get off my lawn kind of thing, but I think we were really lucky in the area that we grew up with and the films that we grew up with were so readily available with no kind of, obviously there was a lot of kind of, uh, you're talking about Christian groups and Tipagore and all that kind of stuff. And there was always going to be some pushback to it, but you know, more often than not, they were widely available to us. And it, yeah, it, it shaped us at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, to be honest, like the, the cop film has become Batman. Like that's yeah, well, Batman yeah. is a yeah. vigilante, essentially cop daredevil, things like that. Like it's, they're just moved over to the superhero films. And I mean, Batman is your vigilante cop essentially now. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's something about it though. And, and I know, I, mean, I know. I look, I, I miss those days too. And and I understand why we don't, um, you know, we've seen enough on TV where it's like cops with unrestrained power, you know, might not be the best, but you know, I want to be like, well, it's just a movie, right? You know, let's, let's just have fun at the movies, but I get why we don't, I, I get it. Yeah. It, it's the problem I have with the superhero and the Batmans and stuff like that is, yeah, that's where it's migrated to, but <laughs> your average Joe's they could use the cop genre to represent your average Joe who was just like, well, here's a guy with a gun and a badge can go out and take on this thing. That's kind of bigger than them. Right. But they didn't well, have John a superpower. McClane, yeah. You're John McClane. It's yeah. your John, McClane. John McClane. I mean, that, that's why Die Hard, I think to me is one of the most perfect action films because it's the, it's the average Joe. It's the average guy who just, you know, is barefoot, has a gun and he's trying to figure all this stuff out and he's up against all these terrorists. Right. 
the, the superhero genre, it's hard to relate to Batman because you're not a billionaire. You don't have all the gadgets. And yeah, it's exciting, and I'm not downplaying any of the Batman or superhero films, but it's not like the John McClane character where it's a little bit more relatable, a little bit more human. And mm. we, we don't, I don't think we have a lot of that in today's like action cinema. It's always got to come about from a John wick. Oh, he's a hired international assassin. Mm. Nobody can touch him. It's like, yeah, give me the, give me the guy who's just trying to do his job. Um, you know, I, I love nobody from last year, the Bob Odenkirk film, but, mm-hmm. but again, it still has that problem of, well, he's a super secret CIA guy who, um, you know, is known for killing everybody and he has this amazing backstory. Awesome. Give me, give me the, the guy that works at Burger King flipping burgers. <laughs> and I, I want that type of action story. I, I mean, that's why I love Jackie Chan films, Jackie mm-hmm. Chan, especially in the eighties to nineties, he wasn't the strongest. He, you know, he could, he got hit as many times as he hit people, but he relied on his environment and sort of, um, I don't know, his smarts to get out of certain things. And he was, you know, doing all these incredible stunts, but he still had this air of, he's just a guy up against Mm -hmm. all of this stuff, doing this amazing, amazing stunt work, but you still got this average Joe feel from him. I think, I think the the, the films are a product of the time as as we discussed. And back in the eighties, seventies, nineties, you could probably get away with that. The, the kind of schlub being the hero. Whereas now, obviously the way the world is, it's, you know, it seems to be getting worse every, every single year. And there needs to be a justification as to why they're doing what they're doing. So if someone is, is, is killed people on mass, or he was a high trainer, that, that was his job to do that. So it's okay to do that rather than somebody just kind of falling into that, that position of, of, you know, just a vigilante slash renegade, um, you know, Charles Bronson, Death Wish, the prime example of that as well. And when kind of social events start to dictate the arts that we consume, I think it, it's a pretty slippery slope because films are made by committee then rather than an individual with, with a vision. And, and yeah, those, those days do seem to be long gone. And hopefully we can claw them back at some point in the, in the not too distant future. Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, I, I do want to talk about a couple of the other Predator sequels, but real quick, we got to ask the question. I, I think we're all going to land the same place. I'm gonna start with you, James. So Predator 2, when it came out, it was a disappointment and theatrically critics didn't like it. And so it bombed. But the, the question for you is, is Predator 2 a bomb? No, no, not at all. It's, uh, <laughs> I hold it in very, very high regard. Um, I, you know, sometimes get into, you know, light natured arguments with friends over it because they're kind of very steadfast in the predator camp but i think it's it goes in hand with a lot of sequels is films that people tend to just rubbish after one viewing give it another go please just give it another go and i guarantee after some time watching between the first time you saw it you're going to have a different perspective on it and this is 100 percent one of those films oh awesome how about you brad is is predator 2 a bomb yeah absolutely not um i was really taken aback by how much i love this movie um i hadn't seen it in a while it's probably been five years and even five years ago i probably wouldn't said i'd put it up there with predator the original uh but now i was like i don't know if i can watch like predator without then going in and watching predator 2 so absolutely i i'm right there with you it's it's gotten better every time i've seen it and i i know the next time i watch it i'm just gonna love it even more so 
I, I agree with both of you a thousand percent. I, I'm I like that comment, Brad. I'm to the point now. If I'm gonna put on Predator, I have to just know that I'm gonna watch Predator Two right after, if not the same day, at least the next day, because I feel like I can't watch one without the other. Um, they're they're just that good, and I'm yeah. surprised how much I love Danny Glover in this thing. Like I I really want want more. I know age is not you know going to permit this, but I almost want to go back and go on a, a, I don't know, a Danny Glover binge watch and especially look at all the stuff from the eighties and nineties and see more of him. Um, and especially the action films that he did, but yeah, I, I, I love this film. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. Cause we brought up RoboCop and I would have been like, Oh no, I think RoboCop two is better than predator two. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, no, there's no way RoboCop two is better than predator two. It's impossible. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> Uh, so did all three of us end up watching at least, um, predators and the predator this mm-hmm. week? Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, let's start with predators. So that was the follow-up to this one starring Adrian Brody. Brad, I'm going to start with you. I mean, what, what it was, was, it wasn't a first time watch, right? You had seen no, this before. Okay. No, I saw that in the theater actually. Um, I, I think my, I like it and I like being on that worlds. Um, I like, the aesthetic, uh, Nimrod, Nim, is this, do we pronounce it Nimrod? Uh, oh, the director. <laughs> yeah. And, and tall. <laughs> yeah. Like I kind of like him in I, my biggest problem is the Adrian Brody casting is like this hero guy and, um, Topher grace. Like I'm not a Topher grace guy, but I do like the story and I like seeing like those cool predator dogs and being on that planets and, and all that. So, um, I, I, I enjoy it. I think it's a step down from the first two quite a bit. Like if I was going to grade it, I would say it's like a six and a half or seven maybe, but it's totally fine. And I guess it's more so because I think the predators is cool. So anytime like you see a predator and stuff and they're using their tech, like it's just going to be a cool movie. Okay. What now I know James, you've you've seen Predators before. You you watched it right after coming off of one of the best sequels ever made. What, what was your newest impression of of watching Predators? Again, I think it's fine. Um, I think the first act where everybody gets to the planet and is just kind of figuring each other out, um, finding like the dead man's trap, and and the scene where they actually realize they're in the ship when they it pans up to the fact that they're in a, on, a, on a different planet. I think that is the point where it starts to lose me a tiny bit. I mean, I think the action sequences are good. Everybody kind of gets their heroic death to a degree in it. Um, I think the angle with the serial killer and Topher Grace is just, I, it just baffles me why. It's just there for a plot point towards the end as, yeah, as a reason needed. why. It's not needed. It, it, why he's got to stay. But yeah, I think everybody kind of having their, their death. Um, the Sam uh, Lawrence Fishburne sequence in it on his, on his spaceship is hilarious i'm sorry i think it's absolutely brilliant when he rocks up in the predator mask and takes it off it's like oh my god we've got a predator lawrence fishburne <laughs> and then it just goes into losing his marbles a bit and it kind of tails off a bit but i like the fact that um brody's character ends up teaming up with an alien at the end and, and there's a bit of like a you do me a solid i'll do you a solid thing and it's yeah, it's, it's serviceable and I, I think with the predator franchise excluding the alien versus predator films it's an, it, outside of the first two, I think it's solid. It's a solid franchise. I don't know what people want from it. I don't understand what 
you know, you could give somebody to make it this incredible thing again, because I do think the pedestal Predator's put on is, is a bit too much at times, just for me personally. I, I would never say anything against anybody's opinions or taste, but yeah, it's, it's just a standalone action film with more Predators and Predator dogs. It's, it's absolutely fine. Okay. I probably liked it a little bit more than you two. And specifically, I'll say of the franchise, it probably has one of my favorite moments, like top three moments in, and that's the Yakuza versus mm. the Predator. I love yeah. how that thing is shot. It looks cool. I've never wanted a, 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 a standalone film of Samurai versus Predator. <laughs> Give me that film. <laughs> I, I want yes. that movie so bad now just after this little action sequence and exchange. And I think it's beautifully shot. It's it's exciting. It's a lot of fun. Um, how it ends, I think, is pretty cool, too. Um, I wasn't digging Adrian Brody the first time I saw this, probably the first part, you know, half of it. But by the end of the film, I was on board. The Topher Grace thing, mm -hmm. I agree with you, is probably its weakest length or weakest link. Um, but I, I really like everything about this film. I, I think it it said, okay, the predator hunting people is the coolest thing about the franchise. So let's do that off world. So again, you get a whole different environment. And um the characters are unique. I mean, everybody I, I was surprised how much I liked uh was it Alice? Alice Braga, who's Alice the female. Braga, yeah, yeah, she's fantastic in it. Um, I, I don't know. If if Predator and Predator 2, if I were to put those like from a grading scale and say those are like A or A plus, to me, this one is like a B plus to A minus. I I, mm. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it flew by for me. So I know some people think that there are some lulls in it, etc. But I think the mystery of what's going on in the beginning. And then as soon as Lawrence Fishburne's character shows up and then that back end, it, it moves at a pretty good clip. Now it's not as um, visceral, I think, as Predator 2. Predator 2 is just lean. This one has a little bit of fat to it, but but not much. And I was surprised how much I liked it. I saw it in the theaters. I've, I've watched it a couple of times. I loved it in 4K. I think it looked, I think mm -hmm. out of- It did look good. Yeah, out of all those uh, films, Predators had some of the best 4K um, images in it uh, although i was surprised how good predator looked on 4k um, i know that one had a some rough releases on blu-ray but I, I think they really got it right on the 4k release i i really really like walton goggins in this oh, yeah. as well it's like yeah. it's a typical walton goggins character where he does that kind of yeehaw sudden justice <laughs> kind of thing and they don't there's no way that his character should last as long as he does in the film like it's just it shouldn't happen uh, and he's obviously like a, a bit of a, a rum dude um, and he, he's not a very likable dude, but he kind of has his heroic death at the end where he's just going to town on the predict with a knife, like jumping on his back. And he says something that I won't repeat on the show, but it, it, within the context <laughs> of his character in the film, it's just absolutely brilliant. And it's like pure Walton Goggins and then he gets lobbed onto a spike and, and, and he's, he's done with, but he's, he's definitely the comedic relief in that film, which is kind of needed at times. I think it's a, it's a little dry at times could do with a bit of trimming, um, especially with some of the, uh, like you say, the, the, the serial killer aspect to it's just ridiculous. I, I, I don't see why that was put in at all. Yeah, I agree. I, I, the other person I, that I like every time I see it is the uh, Russian actor, Oleg Taktorov. Yeah, um, he's really good in it, too. But I mean, it's a great example of between Danny Trejo, all of those sort of side characters behind Adrian Brody as an ensemble piece. It works really well. And um, I got to say, I, I kind of like the final battle that kind of happens between Adrian Brody 
and the predator and how that all plays out. I, I thought it was a pretty cool setup. Um, that, that's calling that, that is what people probably would have expected to see in predator two with him, like shirt off, he's muddied up. He's in like a, a different environment. Yeah. That's probably what people would have expected to see in predator two rather than a follow on film. And they probably put that in there to try and claw a bit more goodwill back because, uh, what was it? It's probably about 10 years ago now, wasn't it? Um, it was out, but you know, that, that to me is the biggest nod to the first film out of all the films that, that, that are in this. Yeah. You know, you're right. It's a, it's a 12 year old film. It doesn't look it. I think it holds up really no, well with the special effects. Um, and this one wasn't a bomb. I mean, it had a $40 million budget and it brought in 127. So wow. it was, uh, it was a success. And, um, I, I think it, I think it earned it. I think it deserved it. Like I said, it's not to the level of the first two, but I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I've talked to some people who are like, I, they didn't they didn't like it when they first saw it. I I would urge everybody to give that one another chance. I I think it well well like you said James, I don't know what people expect out of the franchise. There's there's a definite um methodology to these films and I think Predators delivers on it. Hmm. It was uh, the next logical step to go off world anyway, so yeah, yeah it was it was, mm-hmm. it was nice. It, yeah, I enjoyed it. I I I'm wondering, so the Lawrence Fishburne character was that originally going to be the Danny Glover character. I mean, how cool would that have been if they were able to bring Danny oh, Glover's character into that and say, he was so good. We just picked him up off of, you know, the streets of LA and dropped him onto this planet and he's still surviving. That would have been <laughs> the best, um, story beat, I think for this whole thing. And then he said gonna, he was too old for this shit. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he truly was. <laughs> we're going to be frantically Googling after this episode. If not, just make it like some kind of, uh, you know, old wives tale and start spreading it on the internet. <laughs> no, that'd be yeah. awesome. It, it should have been like, I, I, why, have, I have why to was, imagine. Why was Larry Fishburne so overweight? Like, <laughs> what was he I eating? Mean, come on. I mean, I get it. Like it's real life, but like you're on this other planet. There ain't a McDonald's there. So like, why are you overweight? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that leads us to the more recent one in 2018 and, uh, Shane black who did some rewrites on the first predator script and also had a supporting role comes back to, um, direct and also write the screenplay. I think with his buddy, was it Fred Drecker? Fred Decker, 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 Decker. And we get uh, 2018's the predator. So James, we'll start with you. You rewatched this one. What'd you think of it? Um, I, I'm a, Big, big fan of Shane Black. Again, one of those screenwriters and directors that, that really shaped a lot of my film watching when I was younger. Um, nice Guys from a few years ago is hands down one of my favorite action comedies in recent years. He's, he's got like a really sharp wit. Um, when it turned out he was going back to the Predator franchise, I thought he was in going to be in really good hands. Obviously, he had a lot of goodwill from his, his Marvel stint and probably had a bit of a playground to play around with some films there. And going back to this seemed a logical step. Um, I, I enjoy The Predator. Uh, again, I think it's one of those where um, I don't know what people are going to expect from a Predator film. Um, in this, it's kind of, I, I, I was trying to think of the way that I described it when I first watched it. And do you remember the the Dream Team, the film with Michael Keaton and Christopher oh, yeah. Lloyd and, and mm-hmm. Peter Boyle? It's like and, that yeah. meets uh, just an action film, like an alien invasion film, because it's the whole... It, it, I think it's trying to be too funny for its own good at times. And Mm -hmm. the comedy is coming from so many different places that sometimes it gets lost because you have the core group. Then you've got Sterling K Brown as like the, the really kind of uh, sharp tongued um, CIA agent. And uh, I think I live in one's character and it's quite good as well. But the whole thing with, you know, that the, the like 
like it's, it's like super autism that this kid can figure out that all the predator technology and, and things like that. And it, you know, it turns out that they actually want his brain to survive rather than they they're getting the strongest person alive. So there's a twist on it as well. And I've, I think I've seen it about two or three times now, and it's a really enjoyable film. Um, it's a product of insane studio interference, rewrites, reshoots, editing. So it is a bit of a mess. I don't think this is anywhere close to being Shane Black's original vision though. Yeah, I had heard that the first cut had tested so badly, um, <laughs> and specifically the last uh, third of it, they had to go back and do massive rewrites, massive you know reshoots, and even when they screened it, the the special effects and everything weren't done. So if if you think that a lot of stuff doesn't make sense in sort of the back half of the film. It doesn't because they're using old footage that they shot plus the new stuff. And to your point, right. it, w- it wasn't just studio interference. It was the comment cards from the screening who are like, well, this stinks. This doesn't make sense. Apparently, there was Edward James almost had a huge part in it as a general that comes in in the last part. And all of his stuff is removed. And um, he was a significant actor or player in it. But, yeah, that 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 uh, did not, I, I'm 100% sure, meet uh, Shane Black's original vision. And apparently he's got a two hour plus cut out there that, you know, Fox said, we're not releasing that because it would take too much money to go back and finish it. Um, but yeah, the, the end result on screen is not, um, even close to what it originally started out to be. What about you, Brad? Yeah, this one's the weakest one for me. I, I don't know. It, I, I find this one a little boring. Um, just not for me. I, 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 I don't really dig it that much. And I think it's because that second half just feels like a drag for me. Um, Yeah, this one's, and I love Sterling K Brown and Keegan Michael key. I like all those people that are in this movie, but I just, it just doesn't work for me. So, um, Oh, I I wanted to mention the next predator movie is actually called prey. So, okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing with the predator as well is, is, yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment um, overall, I, I guess. Yeah, it just feels financially, like it was, financially yeah. it was not. It was huge. I, 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 would like love, I would really, really, really like to know or, or see if there's a script of Shane Black's out there that I, that I could possibly read because I, I think there's there's a lot more to this film that, that meets the eye. And it does go into, and, and the ending for me, the very last scene with the Predator Killer, they call it. And that's to me, is what was shoehorned in. Um, and a lot of the reshoots came around that, oh, no, he was trying to actually deliver a super predator killer suit. Um, I'm not buying that's anything to do with Shane Black. That, to me, seems to be trying to tap into the the superhero thing that was mm-hmm. obviously the biggest thing around at the minute. Yeah, there's yep. there's two other endings that were shot as well. So one ending is that when they open up the um, the package at the end, um, it's uh, Waylon Utani, um, and actually it's Ellen Ripley oh. in there. So they Ooh. shot that one. What? Yes. With Sigourney Weaver. Well, they used somebody who looked like Sigourney Weaver right, or stunt, right. but so they would have a mask, but it was supposed to be like, it would say Ellen Ripley and they were bringing the aliens franchise into the predator. And, uh, it was supposed to be Ellen Ripley. So they shot that. They also shot another sequence and it was again, the Waylon, I think Utani, or I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, and instead of Ripley, the other sequence that they shot to bring the alien franchise in, it was going to be newt. It was an older newt. So those were the, they had three endings. They shot the super predator one, 
one where it opened up and you'd see Ripley and another one would open up and you'd see Newt. They scrapped the other two and you're just left with the super predator suit. Yeah. That's the worst one. Well, I don't know. I, the other two don't make sense to me given the time frame of this film versus unless they're, unless they're going back in time or something like that, which now you'd have to explain all of that because the alien stuff takes place like hundreds of hundreds of years in the future. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's why they scrapped it is they looked at it and said, well, this makes no sense unless you're going to sit there and have some expository or, you know, a, a follow-up movie that explains how these people from the future are now cryogenically frozen or whatever. And the predators are sending them to earth to save us. Like, uh, uh, my opinion See, on Troy, this, if you fold a piece of paper, oh, like don't you start create with that a wormhole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pencil through it. Yeah. Yeah. See, easy. Yeah. For me, <laughs> I think so. I love Shane Black. I've met Shane Black when I was in college. Uh, he had just finished um, The Last Boy Scout. And he was good friends with my academic advisor at the time. So, you know, he came in, talked to us, dinner, stuff like that, got to hang out. I've got a got a VHS copy of Lethal Weapon 2 autographed by him. So because oh, my my dad loved it. I'm like, hey, can you autograph this for my dad? And so I gave that to him. But, you know, he was telling us stories of living with uh, Matt Gronig for, you know, who did The Simpsons and um, how he came up with the Lethal Weapon. So it was it was an amazing evening. I've always thought he's one of the best writers. This film has great Shane Black moments in it. I love the whole, uh, why are you guys calling it the Predator? Isn't that really a hunter? And, and they're all like, well, we, we all voted and that was the coolest name. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's Shane Black moments, right? So it's there. Um, and there's some good action sequences, but I, I really think this is a terrible film. Like I, I think mm. it's, as, as a constructed film, the second half makes no sense whatsoever. And it has pacing problems. Um, and characters do stuff and Olivia Munn all of a sudden becomes like a super soldier out of nowhere. Yeah, After, I, I mean, she, she starts the movie walking her dog and then she ends up being like this badass act, uh, you know, I don't know, heroin. So none of it makes sense. Um, I, I don't think some of the humor, like the autistic stuff makes no sense. No, it doesn't. The, no. the humor, the Thomas Jane Tourette's it, it's not funny. Um, I, but the Shane black elements, are good in it. It's one of those where I will take pieces out of it and go, this is really good predator stuff, or this is really good Shane black stuff. But as a whole, I, th I think it's the worst Shane black film ever. It's, and it's definitely the worst predator film. I will watch the other alien versus predator requiem <laughs> over this. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah. I, Cause I, I just, it's at an, at an hour and 47 minutes, it feels like three hours and that's a problem. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from. With yeah, but I mean, it's it's got its moments. I'll say that it's got some really cool moments. Um, it just is it's just not a good movie. Uh, did you did you guys watch the Aliens versus Predator movies? I didn't get to squeeze those. I, in. I, I did not. No, uh, I, I obviously Alien versus Predator really kind of takes a, a big dump on a lot of the law that the films have set up. It's it's more comics. It's more from the comics, if anything. I think that's where it comes from and. You know, it, it is what it is. I remember it, and um, it's nice to see Lance Henriksen back. And it, yeah, the 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 kind of um, exposition dumps and the like didn't make any sense. But I have I have a strong dislike for Requiem. I think it's I think it's just a turd. I, I really dislike it a lot. You can't is that the one that's really it. dark? <laughs> yeah, it's it's, <laughs> yeah. Re it's so dark, and yeah. and it 
I, I remember, so there's a, I'm, I'm from Manchester in, in the Northwest and there was a rock club called Satan's Hollow. We always used to go there on a Friday night and it was more alternative rock, metal, punk, that kind of <laughs> stuff. But it's kind of big feature was that it had this big devil over a DJ booth and it was round. So the dance floor was in, in, in on the round, but they always had TVs dotted around on the outside. And because it was like a pop culture kind of place, they always had a film on. And they showed Alien versus Predator Requiem one night. And I was like squinting to see what, what the bloody hell is going on. And it was the maternity bed scene. And I just thought it was there's mean spirited and then there's super mean spirited and he <laughs> fell on that other kind of side of the line where I'm like, I'm drawing the line here. This is, this is just really not nice at all. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't like it at all. I think it's awful. Yeah. I I'll say this. It, I it's okay. I don't, I can't champion it. I, I I'm with you. It's hard to see. I, th- I think I like the premise towards the end of it where it's sort of a last stand. It almost becomes like an assault on precinct 13 setup, what they were going for in that one. Um, but neither of the alien versus predator films are, are like great cinematic viewings. Um, they're, they're B monster films at best. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think aliens versus predator has some again, cool moments. Uh, it, it is what it is. Requiem. I don't know when you can see it, there's some cool stuff, but <laughs> it's, it's not that great. I, I, again, I'd probably watch that over the predator um, just because the predator it, it to Brad's point, I, I think he, he gets it pretty accurate. There's, there's too much um, boring stuff going on. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> well, dude, I, I don't know about you guys. I had so much fun this week revisiting Predator movies um, and just finding more love for Predator 2. But James, uh, everybody's got to go back and listen to you and Will talk about it. I think that's essential. But you want to give a little bit of plug for the Iron sequel and, and kind of talk about what it is real quick? Yeah, so it's funny enough that the entire podcast is based around my love for Predator 2. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that simple. So um, when we first went into lockdown in the UK, um, I was I was off work and had very kind of idle hands and and decided that I really wanted to do something with my kind of love of film and and it was one night watching Predator Two and and I was just like how how can I possibly get a voice out there to talk about these kind of films because a lot of my favorite films are sequels um, like Predator Two, Death Wish Three, um, uh, Child's Play Two, Problem Child Two, you you name it. A lot of these I have, I have a big um place to play in in my film education so um i threw a few ideas around and i really wanted to get do it with somebody a friend and nobody was really kind of biting at the time because everyone was in their own situation so i was like sorry i'll go for it bought a microphone um set up a subscription and and thought well there's nothing out there that really covers sequels to the degree that i'd like to so i just went for it and started getting guests from the kind of film circles that we went in and then started getting a bit more confidence to reach out to labels and and it's never really gone further than labels but people seem really excited to talk about the favorite sequels because as i said i've, I've had some that have come out of left field that i've been like oh yeah let's talk about that um and a lot of the ones we've done so far are, are very familiar but I've got a guest coming on soon who wants to do a film from the Three Colors trilogy. The uh, that the Polish director French spoke, and I'm like, okay, I feel a bit out of my comfort zone, but let's do it. And yeah, that's for me is is really great because it's bringing something completely new to the table for me. And um, I had a guest on recently who is is very kind of educated in the Hong Kong category three films, and 
she picked one out of there that was just like the wildest thing ever. So I then went on a big Cat 3 action film run over Christmas watching the wildest films you can imagine. So it's great for me um, to, to have these guests and to get to know them. And everybody has been super, super kind, really approachable. Um, and, and it's been, I've never not gotten without any of my guests. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So um, I'm, I'm up to episode 33 now. Um, and I've got a few people coming on that I've really wanted to talk to. Um, do you know Robin Boogie from Cinema Sewer? Uh, I know the name. Yes. It, again, he's somebody who yeah. had a great part to play in me getting into the more kind of sleazier side of cinema. <laughs> and he's he was like chomping at the bits come on absolutely so it really kind of gives me a spring in my step when you get that one person you really want to speak to i've not been kind of uh brave enough to venture out to i'd love to speak to shane black but i know that's never gonna happen <laughs> so i need to keep my feet grounded to a degree so yeah it's it's it's, it's a lot of fun and i i really have a lot of fun doing it i I'm the kind of person who can talk about film. We could carry this on for another three hours. I'd need a toilet break, but it'd be <laughs> fine. But talking about film is just, it just feels like such a natural thing to me. And I'm not an academic, but when you get riffing with someone and you get in their kind of headspace, like you two guys, it's the, it's the best thing on earth. It's such a, it's such a buzz. Oh, I love it. I'll tell you what, one of my favorite things of just doing the show is being able to have the connection. Cause we've, I think we've circled um, our relationship through Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and I've heard yeah. you know your podcast before, and you've been on GGTMC before. Um, but my favorite thing about this is is just coming into contact with you and being able to talk. You know, now two shows for a couple of hours. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Brad and I have talked about this. It's like it it is unique to find somebody that you feel like you're living in the same headspace, and they just get you. Um, and that that's my favorite thing about talking with you. And I, and. It is so obvious that Predator 2 um, inspired your podcast because even the logo for the Iron sequel yeah, has that Predator, <laughs> uh, you know, calligraphy to it. It's so I love your logo because it, it looks like it should be right in that Predator universe. It's so cool. Uh, Brad, I, I got to pick Predator 2 for this week. So you get next week's pick. What are we talking about? I do. We are talking the Tony Scott 1993 I guess romantic crime film, true romance. Oh wow! Written by the one, the only Quentin Tarantino. Oh boy! It's my one time I get to talk about Quentin Tarantino. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm so happy. I'm excited. We're we're. I'm going to be watching that new 4K edition. I've been yes. sitting on it for this episode, so um, I'm excited to crack that thing up. I. I can't wait. I can't wait. So if you want to get a hold of us, leave suggestions. That's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, you can also head over to not a bomb podcast.com and leave a comment there. Um, yeah, we're, we're steadily approaching 100 episodes, Troy. Yeah. So we are going to be doing some special stuff for that. Um, if you want to start getting in your comments and questions for that, we would appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, James, I cannot thank you enough. I know we're on different, uh, you know, time zones. It's a little bit later for you than us. Uh, and I, I, I'm so appreciative that you took time out of your busy schedule to just hang with us and talk predator to you. We've got to have you back on. We'll, we'll give you a list, you, you oh, know, dude. or if there's another sequel you want to talk about, we'll make room for it. You let us know. Um, cause it's always a treat to just talk with you, man. Absolutely. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, the same goes to you guys as well. Like th there will be a point where I'll definitely reach out because again, it, it's, it's what you take from the podcast at the end of the day. If you have fun doing it, 
then that is great. If two people listen to it, I've got over that kind of anxiety of listeners. But if you have such a great chat with you, because the chances of ever meeting in real life are, are incredibly slim. Um, but if we can do this kind of thing often, then I'm more than up for it. So I'd love to come back on. It's been a treat. Oh, I'll yeah, have my absolutely. five questions prepped. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, I'm jumping on a plane here soon and going across the uh, ocean. So we may run into each other sooner than you think. Uh, oh, dude, get in touch. I mean, it's it's not a big country. I, I can travel. <laughs> awesome. I, I got to know, are you a Manchester Manchester City or Manchester United fan? I'm a, I'm a Manchester United fan. And I um, I live, so I, I grew up in Manchester, lived there all my life, met my wife, got married, had a child, had to move. And we decided to move out of Manchester to where she grew up, which is just across the water from Liverpool. So I can look out of my window here, see Liverpool. I can mm. see Anfield, but I'm, I'm a dyed-in-the-wall Manchester United fan. That's awesome. Gotcha. Well, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the show. Go check out the Iron Sequel. I'm telling you, it's going to be one of your new favorite podcasts. Come back next week when we get to talk about Quentin Tarantino and true romance. It's going to be a blast. We'll see you next week. Lose your head. (laughs) 